following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, it's Pepsi Mama welcoming you once again to another edition of Arts or the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, like an ice cream sundae, or that's the way we have it fixed, but you can call it whatever kind of Sunday you want. You're relaxing Sunday, or you're snacking Sunday, or you're uh, Bible reading Sunday, or whatever you want to call it. But the name of the show is the Afternoon Radio Theater S-U-N-D-A-E. And I do that because I like to play around and make a Sunday or a banana split or something while I'm... Um, uh, while I'm doing this program, an imaginary one most of the time. But uh, anyway, the, the reason that, uh, and the difference is, though, today that I'm not going to be uh, pretending to make a Sunday like I usually do. And so you won't have your strawberry with your whipped cream and all that like I normally do. It's because I have been sick the last two weeks. I'm... Uh, recovering from covid so uh you know my appetite is not exactly what it should be but <laughs> anyway uh hope you like what you hear and you have um a few options to listen to us if you want to listen to us live on uh twitter you can at Blind Who's, B-L-I-N-D, Who's, W-H-O-S-E. Oh, I'm, that's one word, at Blind Who's. B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E. I think I said it a while ago like it had a space in it and it doesn't. Uh, or you can listen to us on YouTube. We are, um, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? Or you can listen to us on uh, on our Facebook page, like us and follow us there and subscribe to us on YouTube. And uh, we'd be glad to have you. And uh, you can, you know, you can make your comments or whatever and, and we'll catch them. Uh, also, uh, if, you, if you don't want to listen to us live or can't listen to us live, uh, you can find us on any of your podcast players. Uh, you can find us on Apple. You can find us on QCast. You can find us, Lordy, I don't know, anywhere you want to find us, you should be able to find us. Uh, no, the, um, the Victor Readers, they, they have it. And so, um, so that's that. Uh, if you want to send me an email with your likes and comments, uh, whether they're 
nice comments or not so nice, you can email me at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. That's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, like the ice cream, at gmail.com. And, uh, oh, uh, also, uh, your, your echo, if you have, uh, the Echo devices, they will play the podcast. You just tell them to play Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway, and it'll play the most recent one and go on and on and on until you tell her to shut up. Um, I'm not by myself. In the background with me is my geek and cohort, Victor Gouveia. He keeps all of the cogs and wheels and everything running to, to keep this show going. Uh, because uh, I don't have a good enough computer yet where I can do it, but I hope that changes pretty soon. He is there, and uh, if you want to email him for whatever reason, you can email him at whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com. And so today, I don't really have a theme. I just thought that I would slap a few of my favorite programs together and, uh, and, um, share them with you. Okay. The first, uh, program that I'm going to share with you is one called The Clock. And, um, the title of it is called Jungle Drums. And it's a program that it didn't last a long time, but while it did last, it was pretty popular and nobody really realized why that they didn't keep going with it, but they decided to take it off the air. And it centers around this clock and I don't really understand the significance of the clock, but I did like it because it had the chimes and everything. But it's called Jungle Drum. Sunrise and sunset. Promise and fulfillment. Birth and death. The whole drama of life is written in the sands of time. We present a new series of radio programs, The Clock. Would it surprise you if I said I was a rather frivolous fellow? Well, I am. <laughs> oh, I know your answer. You'll say the family heirloom's been ticking away for 60 years and has never lost a second. But I'm a practical joker in other ways, and I'll prove it. For instance, when it's 12 o'clock noon in New York City, it's 5 p.m. in Paris. Really? And when it's 5 p.m. in Paris, everyone in Bombay will insist that it's half past 10. And in Hong Kong... Now, hold on to your hats, friends. In Hong Kong, it's 1 in the morning of the following day. <laughs> Yes, it's 6 p.m. in the Amsterdam while it's midnight in Singapore, and they're having a late breakfast in Mexico City while they're serving dinner in Bucharest. 
And it's off to work in Los Angeles while the karaoke's are sipping cocktails in Rio de Janeiro. Rio. Beautiful Rio. The loveliest city in all the world. A city where anything can happen and everything does. Martini, please. Very dry. Oh, I speak a little English, madame. Oh, my friend will be along just a moment. Yes, madame. Uh, you are new in Rio, madame. Brand new. You like it? Oh, it's marvelous. I'm going to Belem tomorrow. What's it like in Belem? Uh, Belem? Oh, see, see, Belem is on the Amazon River. Mm, so I've been told. Uh, it is hot in Belem. Very hot. Many bombs. <laughs> that sounds encouraging. Well, my husband ought to like it. Bugs are his specialty. He's an entomologist. Como? An entomologist. He catches bugs. He's also an explorer. And a bore. Now hurry up with this, Martin. It's a bit harsh, Yes, sir. Lisa, there you are. Mary! Where's he been? I'm so sorry, I'm ready. How could you be? Can we have to look at him? He's leaving? Tomorrow. Taking you with him? Yes, it looks frightful. So he's taking me up the Amazon as far as Manel. Then he's going into the unexplored territory alone. Yes. The end of the world. You're strangled there in the heat. Oh, to Martini, very dry. Oh, thank you. Uh, darling, let's take the drinks over that corner table. There's too many of these people here. Can I stand in there? Barry, darling, what do we do? Be careful. I can't. Oh, be so careless. Ever since those men, I've thought of no one else in the world. Barry, I, I've never loved a man the way I love you. What about Charles? My husband ought to be an idiot. I can't stand him anymore. You know that. Yes, you're leaving me. What else can I do? If I insist on staying here, he might become suspicious. Yes, you're right, of course. We have one other choice. One other choice? I'm going to meet you in Manus. We can't risk it, Barry. Why not? Not arrive there after he's gone. I'll leave before he gets back. If he gets back. What do you mean? If he gets back. You realize where that fool husband of yours is going? The headwaters of the Amazon is one of the wildest sections on Earth. Larry doesn't get him. The crocodiles might think the crocodiles in the south is always the... Chavantes. Uh, the Chavantes? Yes, Indians. You know, they, they, they kill the victims in a very original way. They break their backs. What a voting idea. Eve, I'm going with you. And you may be coming back alone with me. He's defined here in Manaus, a thousand miles up the Amazon. Good gravy, isn't it bad enough that I have to sit here in this oven and melt like a lump of butter without you making stupid remarks? I'm sorry. Uh, excuse me, cigarette. My dear, of course. When are you leaving? For the interior? Yes. I'll leave Manaus in the morning. How long will you be gone? Eight weeks, perhaps longer. All depends. Isn't it considered to be a very, uh, dangerous trip? Oh, exceedingly. I'll worry about you. I've been through this part before, but I'm going even deeper this time. I've been working for over a week on a specially prepared map. I'll be safe as long as I have it with me. Oh, uh, by the way, 
Guess who I ran into this afternoon. Who, Charles? That chap we met in Rio two months ago, Barry Crandon. Really? Hmm. I happened to be at the waterfront making final preparations for the boat when his plane arrived. I... Uh, Barry Crandon? Oh, I... Uh, I just didn't remember him too well. Oh, you must be a handsome chap. Very, very polished. The one who told us those amusing stories about the beer is. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I was curious as to why he happened to come to this part of the country, so I asked him. What? Uh, what did he say? Uh, he's on a government mission. Something to do with winning over a few of the wilder Indian tribes. He's going into the same general territory that I am, so I invited him along. I see. Mm, interesting, sir. I expect I'll be seeing a good deal of him the next few weeks. Yes, Charles. I'm sure you will. Barry, tell me the scene from here. No, let me sure we won't follow him. He's asked you to go with him into the jungle. Yes, there's no way I could refuse his invitation either. No one goes into the jungle by himself if he can help it. He'll be too suspicious. What do we do, darling? There's only one way out. I'll have to go along with him. But, uh... I'll return alone. Barry. You love me? You know I do. Of course I can't. You mean, you're going to... Who knows the difference? We're ambushed by the Indians. I get away. They'd send a military expedition into the jungle and find them, but they'll find him dead. I... I never thought you... If you don't have the nerve, this is the time to say so. I leave the nurse on the next plane and we'll never see each other again. Oh, no, Barry. I, I couldn't do it if you did. So they're waiting for us. If we have the nerve... I suppose divorcing him would never be enough. Darling, divorce. Your husband has one thing we need, one thing we haven't got. Money? Well, I'd take you as you are. You could live on what I got, but the earn and wrap of you. We have to go for auction. We might have... No, I'm not giving up the money, Barry. That's why I married him. The things his money can buy are still as important to me as ever. I'm not asking you to give it up. I'm only asking you to share it with me. All right, Barry. Your way is the best way. But you're not going to do it alone. Not alone? Well, what do you mean? You'll take me with him, if I ask you. Morning, Charles. Ah, oh, good morning, Barry. Is Mrs. Clifford awake yet? No, she's still asleep, poor thing. <laughs> this heat is beginning to annoy her. Well, it's not doing my disposition any good either. <laughs> I'll let her sleep as late as she can. We're going to land in a couple of hours, and she'll need all her energy for the trip ahead. We're mm-hmm. going to land? The native boatmen won't go any further. Now, worried about the Indians. Oh, I don't blame you. Uh, these savages are pretty rough, you know, I understand. You're rather nervy to try to contact them. Oh, experience with Indians before, Bolivia, Ecuador. <laughs> well, they gave me the job, even though I am an American. Oh, I see. Hey, Charles, have you ever seen a shrunken head? Oh, yes, one. Very odd-looking things, aren't they? Can't you get in for a hobby like that? Well, they don't practice head shrinking here in Brazil, I once. <laughs> But the jungle is full of Cervantes. They're backbreakers, you know. Yes, so I've heard. Yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with the Indian types, but I don't know as much about the jungle up here as you do. Well, it's practically impossible to find your way around without a map and a compass. Yes, that's true. And if you go too deep, even they won't help you. All on charter, huh? Exactly. They say that no one has ever come out of the interior alive. <laughs> of course, I don't expect to go that far in for my specimens. But what makes you risk your life if you bug, Charles? Oh, you see, I'm a scientist and a bit of an explorer. It's my work. Even though I don't make very much of a living by it. No, well, when a man inherits money, of course. I say, doesn't... how did you know I inherited my money? Then, didn't you mention it once? Oh, well, perhaps. I don't remember. 
Well, anyway, it doesn't matter what. Uh, incidentally, uh, do you only carry one copy of that map, you Yes. Well, I, I want you to do me a favor. Could, could you make me a copy, too? Oh, I think I may separate for a while. I'd like to be able to find my way back. Well, there's no need for us to separate, but uh, I'll make you a copy of the map if, if, if you wish. Oh, thanks, Mike. Says the boatman will wait for us in the riverbank some 15 miles. Yes. Mm. We'll take enough supplies to last four days. Then we can return, replenish our stores, and start out again in another direction. Oh, fine. If and when I manage my contact with the Indians, uh, let me have it. Oh, naturally, oh, Good morning. Good morning. Why, it's nearly noon. I'm afraid I overslept. Oh, will you get me some coffee, Charles? I'll have one of the men brew a fresh pot. Excuse me. Oh, certainly. the hour of day, the years also vary in different parts of the world. It's the second half of the 20th century in New York and London, but in certain parts of Tibet it may be the middle of the 17th century. And even this is a modern era compared to the jungles of Brazil. For the headwaters of the Amazon is one of the few places in the world where time has never existed. Things remain as they were thousands of years ago, and the life that swarms and crawls over everything provides a fitting symphony to the exhausting and terrifying heat. through from here with machetes, Barry. Uh, you sure you know where we are? You have your mat handy? Yes, right here. Yes. Oh, now, we're over here, some 20 miles from the river. Yeah. By following the map due south from here, we're only a day's march from the boat. I see. Yeah. Just want to make certain we're sticking to a course. Charles, when will we stop? Go a little farther, Eve. Make camp for the night. I'll go on ahead and you can follow single fire, eh? Sorry. I've a feeling it's going to sense that something's wrong. I don't know. Is it over with? It's made us horrible, baby. Now, look, uh, I'll have to wait until tonight. He's asleep. Just a few miles, even if we be patient. Time will be right very shortly.
talk about it. I'll just one left to my own. I'll leave everything else. Now, remember, we're supposed to be routed by the Indians. You have the map? Yes, I've got the one he gave. And the compass? You no, know, it broke when he struggled like that. I've got a gun. The chamber's full of six bullets. It's all the ammunition I could find. Will we need the gun? No, I doubt it. According to this map here, we can... What's that, Barry? I don't know. It sounds like a drum. Come, Tom. Mr. Come on, we can't wait. Don't. Unless the rest of the jungle at night are following me in a hurry. Sorry. Not so fast. Sorry, dear. I'm sorry. Just hold on for a minute. I don't hear them. Neither do I. Oh, I've lost them. Well, we can rest for a little while. Oh, I can't. Oh, I'm hungry, Barry. Poor Tara. We can't make a fire and they'll be seen. But I tell you what, we'll open some of the cans down. You can eat as much as you like. We'll reach the river by nightfall. Can't we sleep for a while? No, no, I'm afraid not. We've got to get back to that boat. Hey, Barry! What about it? Tara, two bullets and they can find it to me. Oh, it was an idiot. Honey, I wish you'd hold on to your nerves. You, 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 you don't have to jump at every blade of grass that moves. Oh, I know that your hand wasn't any too steady. Oh, even those cans make me. That's weak as a cat. Yes, what I do with it. With what? I can't outmark it. Well, isn't it in the knapsack? No, it must have been in the other one. I only grabbed a few things out of Charles' knapsack in a hurry before we left. Goodness oh, sake, open those cans. Well, what with my teeth? Oh, don't tell me that the man of the world is completely helpless without a can open. <laughs> That's really rich. Oh, look, stop these. Money and give me a little shirt. I'll chop them open with that. I haven't got it. You had it five minutes ago. I... Oh, I... I must have dropped it when I became frightened. You must have dropped... Oh, for heaven's sake. Oh, the machine... I've According to the map, we should reach the river inside of two hours. You lost those drums, at any rate? I'm thirsty. Again? Gravy, can't I even have a drink of water? Yes. You know, you'd make this trip a little more interesting if you'd stop using these phrases of yours like good gravy all the time. It's getting really tiresome. Oh, shut up. Don't tell me to shut up. I will tell you to shut up. What you meant to or not, the water's gone. But it, it, it doesn't matter, does it? You we sweep the river an hour or two. Look, come on, let's not waste any more time. Let's get, get moving. The river there. Where? Over there. Oh, the river is just a jungle stream. There's dozens of them around here. Oh, well, at least we'll have more water. Get some sense. Would you like a case of typhoid to go with it? Typhoid? I can't touch that water. Typhoid. Amethyst disintegrated. Those bugs just thrive in these marshes. Oh. Let's keep going. Wait a minute. What is it? Look at this map. Is anything wrong? No. 
Jackson, we're supposed to run across the stream this side. It, 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 it's not marked here. Hey, we have lost our way. Oh, don't be ridiculous. The map is perfect. According to the sun, we're moving in the right direction. Jaguar. Don't move him. Too bad I couldn't get him with one shot. I have two bullets left. Come on, we gotta get back to the boat. Time and bullets are running out for even Barry. Only the jungle is timeless, not human life. Listen. Monkeys are crazy monkeys. I can spray them. Barry, I, I can't go out of them. All right, all right. All right. You're thirsty. You're thirsty. I feel. You look the way you feel. You look like a washed-out rat. Really? Oh, I wouldn't talk, either you. It's too bad you haven't got a mirror. What do you mean? You have to make a face and a fancy lipstick. You're not exactly a beauty congressman yourself. Look at you. Look at you. Filthy and fart. Don't you... Don't you talk to me like that. Sorry I ever came with you. Yes? I'm sorry I ever laid eyes on you. Hateful, do you hear? You're hateful. What a chump I said out of there. Instead of sitting in a comfortable hotel in Rio, I had to chase all the way up here after you. You won't have to chase me any longer when we get out of this jungle. The pleasure will be all mine. There's a stream over there. Morgan. Okay, there's a water. Wait. Maybe we can take a chance and boil some. Come on. Water. It's two hours ago. Oh, no. Yes, it is. it is. I remember that rock cluster. And look, some uh, footprints in the You've been going around in circles, Barry. Where's that map? Put it inside the map. What's that? When I, when What's that? I, uh, I don't know. It's like some kind of a diary or something. Oh, I remember the child's logbook. It's up to some of the... Some of the cram stuff now. Let's see. Here's the map, Barry. Let's see. Let's see. Today, and I knew for certain that my wife was in love with Barry Crandon. That's the planning to murder me. I'm not sure. However, I'm making a few plans of my own just in case. I am killed. I'm to follow the map I made for Barry and made to... They'll find themselves going around in circles. They can't the jungle alive. Circles, we can't move the spot. Set and run right into the savages. Trace the steps. It'll run the other way. No. Deeper into the jungle. We've got to do something. We can't stay here. Come back, I do. Closer. Found it. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Before, before they kill you, Mr. Granger. Once I, I saw a picture brought back from the jungle of uh, uh, a victim. It was uh, the most. Incredible thing I'd ever seen. No, 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 no. 
bracelet, my son. You want to share them with me? No, I don't. No. All right. Don't you get it out with you, Jason. All right. You take that. I haven't. I, I can't kill myself. Oh, neither can I. will be heard again next week, same time, same station. Lawrence Clee is the author, and you heard Hart McGuire as the clock. As even Barry, you heard Lynn Murphy and Joe McCormick, and as Charles and the bartender, Frank Waters and Al Garcia. The clock is directed by John Saul, a Grace Gibson radio production. Next I have for you have Gun Will Travel, and actually, I like the, um, I like the radio version better than I like the TV version, for what it, for whatever reason. Uh, I, I just, I just do. I, I wish they'd kept the same actor. I think that would have helped, but, you know, a lot of times they didn't do that. But, uh, but the name of it is called The Hanging Cross. And it's a good little story. Hope you like it. In all my life, I've only seen a dozen real killers. But I've seen 10,000 people who will sit back and let murder happen. Which is the greater evil? Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of the man called Paladin. Oh, good afternoon, Mr. Paladin. Good afternoon, Mr. Stanford. Uh, pardon me. Yes? You dropped these by the desk. Oh, thank you very much. The glove that holds a lady's hand holds a world of prettiness. Really? Yes. My name is... I'm not interested in your name. I don't mm. wish to know it. I don't wish to know you. And if I did, this would not be the day, the hour, nor the place. I quite understand. Then if you will kindly release my hand. Hmm? 
Oh, <laughs> of course. Again, thank you very much. Hmm. Oh, ho, ho, pretty lady, not too impressed with Mr. Paladin. We are all entitled to mistakes, hey, boy. Oh, yes, but uh, how often? Uh, Seldom the time, the place, and the loved one all together. And husband make three. Huh. Telegram come for you. Oh. Answer? Yes. Wire back. Have gun. We'll travel. Crime, delinquency, threats of war. These are the subjects that dominate our news headlines these days. Not very pleasant subjects, are they? You may say that somebody ought to do something about cutting down on crime and delinquency and in promoting peace among nations, but that there's nothing you personally can do about it. That's where you're wrong. You can wage your own fight against crime and delinquency in your own family by taking the family to the church or synagogue of your faith this week. The inspiration and guidance you and they will receive from spiritual contact will strengthen moral background and faith. Regular attendance at religious services will help your family to work out its own problems and give them comfort in facing the tensions of our present-day life. Worshiping together brings your family closer together, too. And supporting your own religious institution provides funds to help those individuals and families who, unlike you, are unable to help themselves. Find the strength for your life. Worship together this week. In a way, I was sorry to leave San Francisco just as Christmas was coming on. The shop windows, already frosted, were filled with all those wonderful surprises which seemed to appear only at the Christmas season. And there was an excitement in the eyes of passers-by, young and old alike. In the air, there was the smell of cookies and cakes and candies. It was a good time to be in San Francisco. And yet the telegram from Colorado Territory left me little choice. It was a long trip and a cold one. As I got closer to my destination, I heard more about the man named Beecher, the man who had hired me. And I didn't like what I heard. Matt Beecher was a hard man, and he ran his cattle empire with an iron fist. It was the day before Christmas when I arrived at the Beecher Ranch. You got business here, cowboy? I was told I'd find Matthew Beecher here. You found him. I pay you $25 a month if I like your work. This is my foreman, Tater. He'll sign you on. Howdy. Now, I didn't come here to hire on as a hand, Mr. Beecher. Oh, no, what did you come for, then? My name is Paladin. You, uh, you may remember this. Have gun, will travel. So? Well, you sent me a wire, asking my help, something about your boy. As I understand it, he was carried off during the Sioux War six years ago. Well, you're too late, mister. I got him back. Just a few days ago, Mr. Paladin. Oh, well, I'm glad everything worked out. It has. Tater, ride him out to the stage trail. He's going to start back now. And Mr. Beecher, it's a long trip from San Francisco. I'll take travel expenses for my trouble. You'll get nothing. Put him off the ranch, Tater. Mr. Beecher? What? Does the boy speak any English? No, he don't. Why? You speak any Indian dialect? No. Well, don't you want to talk to your, your son? You speak the Pawnee dialect? Some. All right, Tater. Take him up to the main house. We'll talk about them expenses later. Yes, sir. Come on, Mr. Paladin. Maybe I'd better set you straight about something. What's that? Well, we ain't too sure the boy is Matt Beecher's son. Well, he seems sure enough. Yeah, well, Matt's sure of everything. He found a boy riding off from a small band of Pawnee three, four days ago. 
Matt just says, that's my boy, and takes him. Huh. What do you think, Tater? Well, he looks Indian to me. Of course, Robbie was only two when the Indians took him. That was when they killed Mrs. Beecher, too. And that nearly finished Matt off when they killed his wife. Tater, is that you? Yep. Mr. Paladin, this here's my wife, Morty. Morty? Mr. Paladin. How's the boy today, Morty? Well, same as yesterday and the day before. Is he sick? Well, not hardly. It's just we got to keep an eye on him every minute or he'll squirt away. <laughs> boy! Hey, boy! There he is, Mr. Paladin. About as wild as any animal that I've ever seen. Poor little thing. Well, what do you think? Well, about eight years old, I should think. Mm, be about right. He could be white. If some of that grime were scraped off him, it's hard to say. Hard to scrape it off, too. Well, what's he say? I haven't talked to him yet, Mr. Beecher. Well, talk to him. I'm paying you. Konola teshi. Shishoni, shoni kiburi, kiman. Shiwa, kalate shishoni kiyo, tegate. His name is Chiwa. His father is Kalate, chief of the Pawnees. You listen to me, boy. I'm your daddy. I'd sell my own soul. I'd give it away before I'd lose you again. He don't understand you, Mr. Beecher. Well, he's got to feel something this strong, lingo or no lingo. Now, boy, you listen to me. What's the matter with him? He's afraid of you. Miss Beecher! Mr. Beecher! What do you want? Uh, it's Indians, Mr. Beecher. Indians. Ponies. Well, what about them? Well, they're setting up camp. Where? They're over on the East Range. So they finally come for the boy. All right, Tater. Yes, sir. Turn the men out. Make sure they all have rifles. Yes, sir. Now, wait a minute. What? Before you start shooting, why don't you find out for sure if this really is your boy? I told you before, I know he's my boy. You want to believe that, but you aren't sure. All right, Paladin, say it out. What are you asking for? Time to talk with those Pawnees. Well, you go talk then, but I'll tell you one thing for sure. No matter what lies they give you, that boy's mine. And if they try to come after him, there'll be the bloodiest massacre you ever seen. Of all reading filters, cigarettes, Kent filters best, Kent filters best. It makes good sense when you smoke Kent, Kent filters best. Of all of the brands of cigarettes, Kent tastes the best, Kent tastes the best. A richer taste than all the rest, Kent filters best. out to the Pawnee camp knowing I had little time and less chance to stop a needless killing. There were squaws, braves, sitting, wandering. They were a hungry people and a lost people. At a tattered teepee, I found Kalete, chief of the Pawnees. Kalete was once man who greeted white man like brother. Now he wanders, hungry, forgotten like the gray wolf. I'm sorry. 
I... I wondered why Kalate was on this trail. White man steal children. Kalate will agree. A man may claim his own son. She was my son. Is he white? She was my son. I ask again, is he white? Skin is leather bag God made to hold the soul. Color of bag, no matter. He was traded from the Sioux. Our blood has mixed. But his is white. He is my son. I take him back. Kalate, if you take the boy, they'll be killing. This white man has many rifles. Can rifles kill what has been killed already? Look at my camp. When there is no game, my people starve. We are driven from land and winter is here. But we move no more. We stay here. Soon we take my son. Hello, Marty. Hello, Mr. Paladin. Well, what's going on inside there? Oh, everyone's shining up clean. We're going to celebrate Christmas, Mr. Beecher, too. Mr. Beecher? Well, I know you won't believe it, but Tater did the trick, says to Mr. Beecher. Maybe the boy will remember Christmas. Ain't that a good one? Indian boy bringing us Christmas. First time since Mr. Beecher lost his wife. Oh, got to find some more mesquite for decorating. Uh, we're going to have singing and eating and everything. Sounds fine, Morty. Well, Paladin, you see the chief? I talked to him. What'd he say? He's your son. I told you he was. You tell them engines to get their squaws and their tents off my property? No. Why not? You want them all killed? I want you to understand that Chief Kalata feels that the boy is his son, too, and he feels it very strongly. If you talk to him, I'd be glad to act as interpreter. The only way I'll talk to him and his flea-bitten braves is with rifle fire. Listen, Beecher. Chief Kalata is the only father the boy has ever known. You kill him. How are you going to explain that to the boy? You speak Pawnee, you can explain it. You're wrong, Mr. Beecher. Yeah? I couldn't explain that in any language. Tater, I said rations, not all these fancy vittles. Well, it's Christmas, Mr. Beecher. Uh... Now, look. Listen to me, all of you. Listen. If one calf wanders off tonight, we work double tomorrow, even if it is Christmas Day. All right, boys. The cider's sitting over there just awaiting. You can't get no stouter, so you get to it. Morty, what is it? The boy's gone. Gone? They come and took him. Was it the Pawnees took him? Yes, sir. You knew about this, Paladin. I thought they'd try, but not so soon. Get your rifles. Now, just wait a minute. You're always reaching for a rifle. There's no need for rifles. No hurry. The Pawnees aren't going anywhere. They're tired of running. Preaching from a gunslinger. You've just been aching to speak a piece. Well, speak it, Paladin. Talk don't mean nothing. Say anything you want. I'll still have the last say. Well, I'm far from being a preacher. But I do know something about killing. Now, these Indians, rightly or wrongly... Believe the boy is theirs. A few people love children like the Pawnees. And the Chief Kalate might have given up the boy. 
He knows a wealthy rancher could give the boy more than a starving Indian could, and they're starving. Properly treated, he still might give up the boy. On the other hand, these Pawnees can't run anymore. They're tired. But they would rather die here tonight than give up the child to force. It won't be hard to massacre them. They have no guns. All you have to do is stay out of arrow range. Those you only wound, well, someone will have to press a muzzle against their heads and pull a trigger. Now, this... This is no Christmas message. I haven't even suggested that to a starving man, food may carry more weight than rifles. As Mr. Beecher can tell you, sentiments like peace, like goodwill, love, and brotherhood, they're just words. Unless you already know what they mean. And if you don't, even if this were a chapel and I were a preacher, such words would would do no good. Well, I ain't got much to say. We're going out to kill some engines. One engine in particular. Anybody that wants can stay here and draw his time, if you think you can find another job. And those who ain't going with me, speak up. Right now. Well, that's the story since the beginning, Mr. Paladin. The belly always wins out. My dear Watson, with all due respect to Sherlock Holmes, let us establish one fact clearly. There is nothing elementary about the shrewd deductions Eric Severide makes as he analyzes world affairs on CBS Radio. As chief Washington correspondent for CBS News... Mr. Severide has opened to him almost every possible source of information. Experience has sharpened his perspective and given him an extraordinary working knowledge of the forces that make history. It's taught him to view each new development in terms of cause and effect. Each Monday through Friday night, as you join Eric Severide on most of these same stations, you'll find his news analysis remarkably free of snap judgments and predetermined conclusions. You'll discover, too that his carefully considered appraisals of the news not only contain real clues as to what is going on in the world, but also they make the news as exciting as any Arthur Conan Doyle story. As Beecher's men spilled out of the doorway of the main house to change clothes and get their rifles, I slipped out the back way, and taking the first horse I saw headed for the Indian camp. Somehow, I had to keep Matt Beecher from starting a bloodbath he might not be able to stop. Even as Kalati and I talked, I knew there were horses moving in the darkness beyond the Indians' fires. Beecher's horses. You are a wise man, my son. But we stay. A man without a gun still might run? No place to run. I have forgotten how to kill, but not how to die. What good does this do the boy? Could he take another father after this? We got the camp surrounded. You want to explain that to the chief, Paladin? He knows it. You going to stand with them instead of with your own people? I asked you a question. I heard you. Peter? Hold up, Peter! Hold your fire, boys. That's Morty. Wait a minute. What are they doing here? Mr. Paladin! Over here, Morty. It's the most all right thing in the world, Morty. Come on. All right, let's go. Come on, 
lady. Get your baskets together. Squadrish. Call your squaws, chief. Call your children. Call the boy. They're bringing food and gifts for your people. Shiva! Hulange! Hunemo! Well, they don't look very friendly, Mr. Paladin. I guess you don't look very friendly to them. Uh, what do we say? Oh. I'd suggest you try Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas? Uh, Christmas. Morty, this is Kalati. He's the chief of the Pawnees. How do you do? Oh. I, um, we, oh, uh, well, I only got one pair of hands. Here, you take this basket. Now, hold on there, Morty. I'm with you. Hello, Tater. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Paladin. <laughs> I come in, too, Mr. Paladin. Well, Pete. Now, what Beecher's doing is wrong, and I don't care if I do get fired. Well, look, Mr. Paladin, all the men are coming in. Why, Morty, you ain't rightly dressed for riding. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a time to change, oh, but you yeah. sure don't have to... Oh. Well, Chief, there'll be no bloodletting tonight. Christmas? Uh, That's right. They call it Christmas. It's a, it's a time of the year when people pretend there is no evil in the world. Yeah, I like. Uh, everybody likes. What about the boy, Chief? His name is Robbie Beecher. His skin is white. Chief? My boy. <laughs> His boy, Chief. You can return the seed to the plant that bore it. He can't take it, nor can I, nor can anyone. I talk to boy. I'll talk to his father. Hold it, Paladin. Right there. He'll give you the boy, Beecher. What? You can take him home tonight. The chief is talking to him now, telling him that you're his father. I'll kill you, Paladin, if this is some kind of way of getting back at me. When do I get my boy? I haven't been paid yet. Thousand dollars cash. Well, I haven't got it with me. When can you have it? Tomorrow. Then give it to the chief so he can buy some land for himself and his people. I'll do better than that. I'll give him some land. I feel like I should give something. It's a good feeling, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it is. Merry Christmas, Mr. Beecher. Merry Christmas, Mr. Paladin. Good afternoon, hey boy. When you come back? Last night, late. Oh, uh, excuse me. Oh, no. Wait, not her. You met her once, remember? I remember. She's always dropping her glove. Oh, too bad. I eat trouble. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I beg your pardon. You dropped your glove. Oh, oh so I did. Um, may I pick it up? You may. Thank you. Allow me to introduce myself? <laughs> well, please do. My name is Paladin. Uh, my name is Eugenie Meyer, Miss Paladin. Oh. There's a princess named Eugenie. Uh, I, I'd rather hear about that glove that holds a lady's hand. Holds a world of prettiness? Yes. <laughs> I like that beginning better. Is there more? Oh, there's a great deal more, I assure you. But one question... 
Why the change of heart? Well, it's, uh, it's more a change of mind. The change of heart can come later. <laughs> but why? You were very confident in your rejection the last time we met. Well, you were very confident of yourself, Mr. Paladin. Christmas seems to have uh, humbled you and me. Then we're both very fortunate. Now we can meet. <laughs> yes. Have gun. Will travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe is produced and directed by Norman McDonald and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Gene Roddenberry and adapted for radio by John Dawson. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Jess Kirkpatrick, Roy Woods, Richard Beals, Anne Morrison, and Virginia Christine. Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel. I have for you uh, it's called Honest Harold or they call it the Harold Perry show too you know Harold Perry he was the one who played the great Gildersleeve and uh, but he's he's just as funny in this one and uh, so it's called Harold Loses His Job Harold Perry Show. And now, Harold Perry is Honest Harold the Homemaker. The town of Melrose Springs boasts one radio station and one newspaper, both owned by an old boaster named Mr. Carruthers. One of the things he doesn't boast about is a radio program on his station called Honest Herald, the Homemaker. Why? Well, you'll find out. Listening to Honest Herald is a morning must in Melrose Springs, especially with the ladies. Shall we join them? Well, good morning, girls. Are you ready? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, woman likes to be told that her hair 
is fine as gold. She may know that you're her feller, but it's better when you tell her a woman likes to be told. Yes, indeed. Time to visit with your old teller, Honest Harold, the homemaker. Bringing you news, views, and clues to good products. <laughs> by the way, girls, I have a very important announcement to make later in the program that concerns all of you, so please stand by. But first, our postman, Little Billy, the Mighty Might, and ex-jockey. Good morning, ladies. Hal, pal, the outstanding letter today is from a lady in Charlieville. Charlieville, eh? Well, thank you, Billy. Thank you. Now, let's see. Uh, she says, uh, Last week, I started trading with a different grocer. When the boy arrived with the delivery, I asked him his name. He said, Truman. I said, is that your last name? He said, yes, ma'am. My first name is Harry. <laughs> Harry Truman, I said. That's a pretty well-known name. He said, it ought to be. I've been delivering groceries around here for four years. <laughs> well, well. And now, girls, let's get serious for a moment. The other day, a very high-pressure salesman from California sold me on the idea of introducing a new shampoo product on this program. Because it was new and not fully tried and tested... I asked all you ladies to accept a free sample and then report to me. Since then, I've tried it, and I've had numerous complaints from you girls, so I'm canceling the account right now. I'm mad. I may get into a little trouble about this, but I want you to know that Grandma Llewellyn's liquid lather shampoo will never be mentioned on this program as long as I have anything to say about it. Good morning, Station KHJP. What's that, madam? After listening to Honest Harold reporting your Grandma Llewellyn's liquid lather shampoo down the drain, I'll tell him. No, I don't think it'll hurt the drain. <laughs> Thanks for draining. I mean, for calling. <laughs> hello, Station KH. Oh, hello, Rosemary. Little old Gloria was just about to call you. Did you hear Honest Harold's program this morning? Well, he just went off the air, and between you and me, it's liable to be for the last time. Boss Carruthers called his nephew, Mr. Peabody, and Mr. Peabody is going to call Harold, and... Oh, oh, here comes Harold out of the studio. I'll call you back. Well, good morning, Glory. Did you hear my program this morning? Uh, yes, I did, Mr. Hamp. And Mr. Peabody heard it, too. He was eating his breakfast at the time. Oh? He choked on his yogurt. He, cho <laughs> he did, eh? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know my policy, Gloria. I test all my products before I... By the way, did you test that new product for me over the weekend? Oh, yes. I spent the entire weekend sunbathing. Good. How did that freckle cream work out? Oh, just wonderful. Got a whole new crop of freckles. <laughs> Gloria, you're a fine guinea pig. Thank you, kind sir. <laughs> well, see you tomorrow. Same time, same station. I hope so. Yeah. What? Well, Mr. Peabody wants to see you in his office right away. Is he in there now? I'm afraid so. I can hear him tapping his fingers. I know what you mean. Well, that's radio. Give and take. Only so far, I haven't found many who'll take what I have to give. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hold the phone and keep your lines crossed. Don't I always? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Uh, she's a nice kid. Uh, well, here goes nothing. Maybe I was a little hasty about canceling that shampoo account and right on the air like that. I don't know, though. My listeners objected to the stuff. Besides, I tried it yesterday and took all the wave out of my hair. Here. No, sir, I did the right thing. And I'm going to walk right in and tell Mr. Peabody to... <clears throat> well, maybe I'd better peek through the keyhole first. But if Big Shot Stanley Peabody 
So much as raises his voice to me, I'll... Thank you for opening the door. Well, drop in. I almost did. I'm glad you're in such a jovial mood. It may help you digest what I've been discussing with my uncle, Mr. Carruthers. Sit down. Uh, Sit down. Thank you. New furniture, eh? Nice. Yes, look about you. This fine radio station. Thousands upon thousands of dollars were spent erecting these handsome studios. Cheap cement. <laughs> the finest electrical engineers designed our powerful transmitters. Mr. Carruthers even hired me at great expense to run the organization. Relative. <laughs> then you, you come along and nullify it all. Nullify? Now hold on, Peabody. You're the one that had better try to hold on to your job. You're on probation. Probation? Yes. You've gone about as far as you can making the decisions around here. It's got to stop. Stop. Do you hear? The only way I could hear it any better, chum, is if you were sitting in my lap. <laughs> this idea of canceling an advertiser without consulting the management of this station has got to stop. stop. I'm sorry, Stanley, but I must uphold my principles. Your principles? What about this radio station? What's going to hold us up? Not this cheap cement, brother. <laughs> You've done a lot of unconventional things in your time, but what possible justification did you have to cancel that shampoo account? Well, my listeners complained about it. And just what great fault did your listeners find with the shampoo? Well, as one little woman put it, there's too much sham and not enough poo. <laughs> no good, why did you accept it in the first place? Well, we wouldn't have accepted it. Honest Harold, you've made Mr. Carruthers very angry. You've made me very angry, too. You ruined my breakfast this morning. I'm sorry you choked on your yogurt. I mean... Uh... <laughs> Please, now listen to me. Harold Hemp, if you must crusade, why don't you go after something worthwhile, such as lowering taxes? Are taxes too high? <laughs> or try to do something to better Melrose Springs. Huh? I'll give you an example. Mrs. Carruthers, my aunt, who you know is the political leader among the women of this town, is planning to run me for mayor. Uh, now, why don't you convince your listeners that I should be their next mayor? I thought you wanted me to do something to better Melrose Springs. <laughs> Get out. And remember, you've got one more chance. But stay. Get out before I do something that'll put me in True Detective magazine. <laughs> Guess I'd better go. That's murder. <laughs> Detective Magazine. That Peabody. I'd like to condense his head for Reader's Digest. <laughs> Only they wouldn't buy it. What a fine mayor he'll make. Why didn't I fight back? I don't have to take that sort of talk from anybody. My 1936 Essex is almost paid for. <laughs> this is a free country. I don't want to be so free I don't have a job. I've got responsibilities. There's mother, little Billy got to keep little Billy with me or you'll drift back to the racetracks. Hey there, crooner. Well, hello, Doc. <laughs> talking to yourself, weren't you? Well, that's better than talking to some people I know. I always did prefer animals to people. <laughs> yeah, I know, Doc. The fact is, that's why I became a veterinarian instead of an M.D. Animals are more considerate. Uh-huh. I never did have a horse call me in the middle of the night unless it was serious. <laughs> You're wonderful, Doc. Can I drop you any place? Well, I'm heading home. Fine. Hop in. <laughs> I uh, just came downtown to get some dog biscuit. 
Have one? <laughs> Better take two. They're small. No, thank you. Crammed full of vitamins. Hmm? They don't crackle or pop, but they got plenty of snap. <laughs> don't tell me you eat those things. No, I just give them to my dogs. Only things that'll keep them from barking during your radio program. <laughs> I'd like to feed some of those dog biscuits to Stanley Peabody. He looks like an air <laughs> You and Stanley don't get along too well, do you? Well, not many fellas do when they're in love with the same girl. I guess not. If Stanley could get me out of the way, he'd probably marry Evelina. Can't understand what you two see in that niece of mine. All she is is young and pretty. <laughs> yeah, she's beautiful. Well, all us Yanceys are. <laughs> she's domineering, though. Why, she even tells old man Carruthers how to run his newspaper. <laughs> if I had a secretary like that, I'd... I'd marry her if she'd have me. Well, she's taking care of me, the twins, and all the stray dogs and cats I'm treating. I don't know. She's got room for one more. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> Besides, my nephew from Cleveland's planning to visit us. Oh. Quite a fellow, that boy. Makes $45 a week when he's not striking. <laughs> well, this is a fine time for me to be thinking about getting married, Doc. I'm about to lose my job. What? Again? Yeah, serious this time. In fact, Mr. Carruthers had Stanley put me on probation. He says if I want a crusade, I've got to get behind some community project. Well, what are you slowing down for? Is this spring wagon out of gas? Oh, no, no. This is the school zone, Doc. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Say, if you want a good community project, son, how about getting the town to build a livery stable? A livery stable? There aren't any horses in this town. Well, that might bring them back. <laughs> get some of these cars off the streets. Devil's plaything. Now, Doc, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Oh, say, watch out for that little kid. What? Oop, I'll drive around him. Hang on, Doc. <laughs> Made it. <laughs> Where are we? Up on the curb. And I suspect only three tires left. <laughs> Certainly close. Look at that scallywag run for the schoolhouse. I'll bet he's scared. He's scared? <laughs> there ought to be a policeman on this corner. Say, Doc. I'm getting an idea. Let me out. I'm getting a horse. <laughs> well, it took me all day to contact the school principals, but they're all behind me. I just can't wait to tell Evelina about this. I hope the dear little twin sisters have gone to bed. Old Doc Yak Yak, too. Dear old Doc. I wonder if the old boy sleeps standing up like a horse. <laughs> oh, come in, Harold. Well, thank you, Evie. <laughs> Lovely dress. Oh, thank you. I was hoping you'd drop over. I've been worried. I understand you had some trouble at the radio station. Yeah, I did. But today I hit on a plan that'll make Mr. Carruthers approve of me. Well, take it from his secretary, Harold. It'll have to be quite an idea. Oh, this is. I'm going to start a radio campaign to put a policeman at every corner of every schoolhouse so that our children can cross our streets. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, Harold. Is Mr. Carruthers enthused? Well, I haven't spoken to Mr. Carruthers yet. I've got a call in for Stanley to call me here. Oh. Hey. What's that you're doing? Oh, I'm proofreading a series of articles that Mr. Carruthers wrote for a Sunday editorial. It's on one of his pet subjects, lip reading. Lip reading? He's a bit deaf, you know. Deaf, too? 
Oh. <laughs> well, I've discovered that you can learn a lot about people by watching their lips. Well, a fella doesn't like to just watch some lips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Harold. You know, I've been practicing lip reading here in front of the mirror. Mirror? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be more fun practicing with something not quite so cold? A nice, live, chubby assistant? <laughs> I'm available here. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, you watch how my lips form the words. Oh, brother, I'm watching. <laughs> now, after me, make the lips form a simple word like rhubarb. Rhubarb. Well, this is silly. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't? Uh. Well, it may have some merit. Let's see. Now it's my turn. Now, you form a word with me, huh? Ready? Say prunes. All right. Prunes. Carol, <laughs> that wasn't fair. No, but it was mighty tasty. <laughs> Evie. Yes? It's strange that lip reading should make me think of marriage, but now that I'm sure of my job again... It... Oh, that must be Stanley now. Yeah, he timed it well. <laughs> I'll get it. Hello? Is that you, Hip? Did you call me? Yes, I did, Stanley. I've taken your advice. Oh, really? Your suggestion about crusading to better Melrose Springs? I want you to tell Mr. Carruthers about it. Oh, I certainly will. You mean about deciding to back me for mayor? Oh, no, no. My idea is to have a policeman on every corner at every school. What? A policeman on every corner. Hip, do you realize that there are four schools in this town and that there are four coffers at each school? That's 16 additional policemen. Eight, twelve, sixteen. He's right. Sixteen <laughs> policemen. Do you know what that means? It means safety for our school children. It means higher taxes. And do you know who pays most of the taxes in this town? Well, Mr. Carruthers, of course. Exactly. And what, may I ask, is wrong with the suggestion I gave you? You mean to back you for mayor? Certainly. Well, Stanley, as one of my lady listeners so aptly put it, too much sham and not enough poo. <laughs> that did it. To coin a phrase, my dear boy, you've reached the end of your rope, hemp. Hey, that's kind of clever. What? You're fired. Fired? But Stanley. <laughs> I guess he didn't like my idea. Are you finished, Harold? Yeah, I sure am. Well, Mother always said, it's important to have an open mind, but I've got a hole in my head. <laughs> we'll return for the second act of our story, Honest Herald, in just a moment. But first... Be listening later tonight when Horace Height presents the cream of the talent he's found in his journeys around and about America. The Horace Height Original Youth Opportunity Program is heard every Sunday on most of these same CBS stations. And now back to the Harold Perry Show. We're back in Honest Harold's hometown, Melrose Springs. It's the next day, and we find ourselves at the radio station. Little Billy, the mighty mite, has just stepped out of the elevator with a very large bag of mail and is making his way to the reception desk. Hiya, beautiful. Well, here I am with the mail. Say, could I talk to you in playing a little post office? Billy, how can you make jokes at a time like this? Well, it is a little early, Gloria. No, I mean, hasn't Harold told you? 
something I should know? Well, I guess he didn't want to worry you. But he isn't the homemaker here anymore. What? He's been replaced with an organ recital. Hey! I gotta see him. Where did he go? Home to mother, I guess. Oh, ho. Oh. <laughs> now, Harold, stop worrying. Everything happens for the best. Yes, Mother. By the way, it's nice having lunch at home like this again for a change. <laughs> Don't you want a little dessert, Harold? <laughs> I think I've had enough lunch, Mother. I'm trying to keep my weight down, you know. Oh, you're not too fat? Oh, yes, I am. The last time I took a train trip and got into an upper, it immediately became a lower. <laughs> oh, you're just healthy looking. But you won't be if you don't stop worrying and eat more. Well, you can save my dessert for little Billy. There you go. Always thinking about other people. Now, take me, for instance. You? Yes. I hold you back. A nice boy like you should be married and have a home of his own. A man deserves those things when he's touching 40. I'm not touching 40, Mother. I'm beating the living daylights out of it. <laughs> Besides, I couldn't do without you. Well, I'm off. Where? You haven't a program anymore. I found a program, Mother. I'm going down to the Hoover School at the City Mall. I are extra policemen. I'll direct traffic there. Oh. oh, that sounds wonderful, my boy. Oh, but here, if you're going to school, I'd better wrap up your dessert. Oh, but, Mother... Now, Harold, remember how hungry you always got when you went to school? Here's your pie. Pie? Yes, lemon chiffon. But mother, remember my diet. Lemon is on your diet. Yeah, uh-huh, Theirs is not to make reply. Theirs is not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. I guess I'll take the piece of pie. <laughs> oh, dear, what am I going to do with this piece of pie? Can't hold it in my hand while I'm directing traffic. Oh, well, I'll eat it. Mmm, wonderful. Good crust. Mmm, dear old mother. She really thinks I ought to get married. Uh, married to Evie. That'd be wonderful. Evelina, won't you pay a little mind to that moon? Evelina. Can't you hear that little old Bob Leach tune? Evelina, she's so pretty. She can't cook as well as Mother, but that's good. I can stay on my diet. What about Mother and little Billy? Maybe Billy could be our babysitter. Ah, babies. Yeah. I don't want a large family. Five would be enough. <laughs> oh, but here I am dreaming again. Haven't even got a job. Probably have to leave Melrose Springs. Maybe I could get a job in television. I could be a test pattern. Maybe <laughs> would probably marry Stanley Peabody then. Well, he's going to be mayor. She'd like that. Mrs. Mayor Peabody. Oh, brother. Hey, Little Billy, I want to see him now. I'll walk faster and lose that little jockey. Hey, where are you off and running? Oh, hello, little Billy. What's this I hear about you being scratched? Get scratched? <laughs> yeah, 
Declare it. Try it. Billy, must you always use that racetrack lingo? You've got everybody in this town doing it. Sure. I'm getting to be a favorite here. There you go again. Hey, do you want me to take care of this Peabody? Huh? Well, I'll put a burr under his saddle and I'll ride him into the rail. Now, Billy, you promised me when you came to live with us here in Melrose Springs that you wouldn't get in any trouble. But you've got a lot of good races left in you. I ain't letting them send you to the glue factory. Glue? <laughs> now, Billy? Come on. We'll fight Carruthers and Peabody. You and me. We'll pool our forces. Excuse me, Billy, but that's no pool. That's a birdbath. <laughs> Besides, Billy, I don't want to fight anybody. They did turn down my school plan, but I still think I was right. So I'm going to the Hoover School myself. You mean you're going to direct traffic? Sure. Somebody's got to help those children across the street. Well... Peabody may think he's running you out of the money, but his nose ain't crossed the Y yet. Huh? See you later. Uh, Billy, what are you up to? Me, me nothing. Excuse me, i got to see a horse doctor about a stubborn mule. <laughs> horse doctor about a mule? Oh, well, that sounds logical. <laughs> Dr. Yancey speaking, it's your nickel star talker. <laughs> But I'm in consultation with the patient. A patient? Yeah, I'm clipping a sheep. <laughs> that sheep can wait. The one I want to see you about has been clipped. But good. Hmm. Well, okay, I'll be there in a minute. Things are never the same again after you have a phone put in. Meh. <laughs> I'll shear you later. <laughs> Come along, infants. Scoot across while I have the car stopped. Don't stand there looking at me. Come on. Scoot. Yeah, that's it. Hello, Joey. How's your mommy? <laughs> All right, you and that hot rod, and proceed with caution. <laughs> Pull in that pipe, brother. <laughs> All right, children, let's cross right away, and let's look where we're going now, huh? That's it. That's it. All right, mister. You're next. You're next. Well, so are you, I think. I wonder what he said. I wish I did know something about lip reading. Thank you for waiting for the children, ma'am. wonder if she's got a license. Well, I kind of like this kind of work. Maybe I missed my calling. I guess I'm just a frustrated policeman. Getting kind of quiet, though. Imagine all the classes have been dismissed. Seems to be the last of the kiddies. Can I cross now, Constable? <laughs> well, hello, Doc. How are you getting along with your new job? Well, that's a bigger job than I thought it was going to be. I think I need a whistle. Well, if you wait until that new third grade teacher walks by, I'll whistle for you. <laughs> Doc, remember your age. <laughs> I never have to. Everybody else does. <laughs> anyway, the children have all gone home. I think I'll go, too. Oh, uh, hey, now, uh, wait a minute, Harold. I just got here. Uh, why don't you stick around for a while? Show me your stuff. Oh, no, no. I'm I'm all finished here. Well, uh, there, there may be another kid or two around playing behind the schoolhouse. I don't think so, Doc. Well, besides, isn't this about the time that Mrs. Carruthers drives Stanley Peabody by here on the way home? Well, yes, it is nearly four o'clock, and they do it every day. Well, if I was you, I'd stick around and let Stanley see you donating your services to the town like this. Huh? Yeah, that'll make him mighty ashamed of himself. Uh, I doubt that, Doc. 
Anyway, let's let bygones be bygones. Well, you stick to that attitude and it won't be long. Say, who's that up starting that station wagon? Looks like Mrs. Carruthers' car. Yeah, she's traveling pretty fast. Yeah, too fast. Say, look at that child in that cowboy suit. Where did he come from? Say, he's going to run across the street. He can't see on account of that big hat he's wearing. Little boy, don't run out there on the street. Oop, he stumbled and fell. Stop, stop that car. Carl, don't jump in front of that car. Stop. Yes, Mrs. Carruthers. Is the child all right? Yeah, he's okay. Look at him streak through those bushes. What are you doing standing out there in the middle of the street, Hemp? What does it look like, Stanley? I've been directing traffic. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Oh, Mr. Hemp, how can I ever thank you? You kept me from hitting that youngster. Yeah, well, that's why I was here. This is a dangerous spot. There should be policemen on these corners to act as crossing guards. You're so right, Mrs. Carruthers. Something should be done immediately. Mr. Hemp! Why don't you campaign for it on your wonderful radio program? Well, I don't have a radio program anymore. What? Stanley fired me. What's this, Stanley? <laughs> now, Andy, I just take orders from Mr. Carruthers. Well, Mr. Carruthers takes orders from me. <laughs> I'll bet he does it that. <laughs> Mr. Hemp, you've been rehired. I have? Yes. But it may not be for long. Well, that's... It won't? For a long time now, we've needed an honest man in Melrose Springs. One who is interested in our city and our children. When the women voters of Melrose Springs meet tomorrow, I'm going to submit your name for mayor. Me? Mayor? Sinatra here is your boy, ma'am. <laughs> Andy, I thought you were going to support me. Hmm. We support you anyway. <laughs> That's a quarter. Doc, but Mrs. Carruthers, do you think I'm really qualified? I don't think I want to be mayor. Now, don't argue with me, young man. You're as good as elected. Stanley, close your mouth and let's go home. <laughs> goodbye, honest Harold. Hey, goodbye, Mrs. Carruthers. Well, isn't she so sweet? <laughs> yeah, well, that turned out slick, didn't it? Doc, it couldn't have been planned better. Yep. Uh, what'd you say? You can tell little Billy to come out from behind those bushes now. <laughs> Shucks. Gosh, Havel, how did you know I was the kid? Yeah, we thought that little hop-along Cassidy suit was a perfect disguise. Well, I've been thinking. Nobody but a jockey could take a fall like that, roll over, and come up on his feet running. <laughs> I ought to be real upset with both of you. That wasn't honest, fellas. No, that was politics. Yeah. <laughs> and with us behind you, you'll be mayor before you know it. Mayor, eh? Well, good night, voters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You've just heard the Harold Perry Show, Honest Harold. The supporting players included Jerry Merrin, Ken Peters, Doris Singleton, Catherine Card, and Lois Corbett. And featured Gloria Holiday as Gloria and Joseph Kearns as old Doc Yak Yak. Norman MacDonald directed, and the music was composed and conducted by Jack Meekin. William Danch contributed additional dialogue to Mr. Perry's original script. <laughs> Hit the jackpot, previously heard at this time, has moved to CBS on Tuesday night on most of these same CBS stations. Be listening this next Tuesday night for Bill Cullen and Hit the Jackpot, won't you? 
Stay tuned for Percy Faith and his pause that refreshes music, which follows immediately on most of these same stations. This is CBS, where Carlos Archie is heard on Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You know, I just love the Hop Along Cassidy books. And, well, I don't know, ever since I was a little girl and beyond. And, uh, but I'm just that way. I love westerns. And, um, so, uh, but this one was a good one. Uh, it's called Dead Man's Hand. And I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And if you want to, while you're at it, you you can feel free to get your snack or your drink or what have you. And um, kick back and enjoy the show because I'm not doing my Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm battling COVID. I've had it the last two weeks and my appetite is not what it should be. So I don't feel like pretending to make a Sunday today. It's Hopalong Cassidy. With action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. The jingle of the silver spurs heralds that fabulous figure of the early West, Hopalong Cassidy. The same hoppy you cheer in motion pictures. With the same California you've laughed at a hundred times in your local theater. These famous partners come riding into radio just as you've asked for them. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy and Andy Clyde as California. Our story tonight, Dead Man's Hand. With winter coming on and the snow beginning to crawl down the distant mountains, there are a hundred things to be done around the Bar 20 ranch. But Hopalong Cassidy knows that some of those things will have to wait. For he and California are going to have a, another job to do. Oh, it might be an easy job. Like just giving a friend a helping hand. Then again, it might mean tangling with a treacherous gang who put gold nuggets above human life. Harvey, how in tarnation am I going to get my work done with you snaking me in off in the range like a lamed up dog? No, I wouldn't have sent that writer out after you without a pretty good reason, California. Well, my ears are up. Let's have her. You remember Kit Kirby? Do I remember Kit? Why, he was one of the best hands we ever had. He's in trouble. Listen to this letter I got this morning. Dear Hoppy, I'm writing you because I think you're the only friend I got left. Gold is where you find it, they say. And my partner Joe and I found it after three years in these godforsaken mountains. Our first samples assayed $500 to the ton. Gee, Willie, that's a rich strike. Sure is. We thought we were lucky until the day Joe left with the second batch of samples, and I found him ten hours later in Whitewater Pass with a bullet in his back. So I'm alone now. But that's not why I'm writing you. My wife Sally is alone, too, in Indian Spring. And she needs help, Hoppy. Your kind of help. That's all I can say now. Wish me luck, pal. Kit Kirby. Mm, sounds like the boy has got himself in trouble. Yeah, I believe Kit's in real trouble. More than this letter tells. 
Don't you see? I know Kit's handwriting. And this letter is a bad imitation. You, you mean uh, you mean it ain't? Someone uh... wants us to come to Indian Spring, California. And they want it badly enough to forge this letter. Now a word from your announcer. There was a four-day ride behind them when Hoppy and California pulled into the rough, dirty little town of Indian Springs. And as they walked into the town's rickety hotel, past the poker game to the bar, Hoppy knew that only gold would bring Kit Kirby to a place like this. Jack's the better to open. I'll raise you, Ed. I'm good to the How many? How many what? Well, we got whiskey, so I don't ask what do you want. I ask how many. And suppose a fellow wants a room for the night. How long are you staying? Does that make any difference? Well, not to me, but might to you. If I was you, I'd ride on to Sahara in the morning. You know, mister, offhand, I'd say you were scared of something. Well, it ain't only me. It's everybody around here. Look, if you're smart, you get right back on that horse of yours. Jerry! Uh, uh, yeah, Luke? You're around here to ten ball, ain't you, Jerry? Uh, sure, sure, Well, Luke. of course, you're shooting off your mouth and set up them that drinks. Uh, yeah, yeah. You right, hear? Right away, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry the jackrabbit. Look at him jump. <laughs> talking. All the time talking. Any objections? Yeah. Talking can get a man into a heap of trouble, pal. Remember that on your way out of town tomorrow. Okay, boys, this is the money hand. I want to be in at the start. Give me five big ones, huh? Gosh, Hoppy, I wouldn't turn my back and hitch and post in this town. Look at that poker game. $20 limit. Well, I'd feel plumb naked here without a six-gun in his hip. Here comes Jerry. Look, mister, uh, this town's no place for a cowpoke on the loose. Now, take my advice. Ride on to Saguaro. Trail's plain and you'll have a move. Why Saguaro? They've got the law in Saguaro. Government marshal. You mean there's no law around here? Well, I don't know. Nobody's seen the sheriff since the day before yesterday. Now, that Luke Berry over there, he's a killer. Got the whole town buffaloed. Oh, there's going to be trouble. I can smell it. <laughs> Maybe I don't smell as sharp as you, Jay. You dirty I... skunk, double-check me, will you? I'll show you. Get down! Take it easy. You sure got Luke. That was fast going, Doc. I saw him pull a gun on me. It was self-defense. I had to shoot. Well, sure, sure, Doc. Well, I'm still a doctor, and it's my duty to see what I can do for him. Help me get him over to my office. Yeah. Uh, you can come up from behind the bar now, Jerry. Uh, Luke? What was it? Was it Luke? Why, nobody ever pulled a gun on Luke before. 
Well, I better get over to my office fast. I'm afraid it's too late, but I'll do what I can. I'm sure awful concerned about a fellow he just shot. Who is that, Jerry? Oh, it's Doc Sheldon. He's got a shingle hanging out right across the street. Come on, California. Let's take a look. Uh, uh, look for what, Hoppy? Ain't we already seen enough? Hmm. This is a funny one. Why are you looking at them cards? Well, this is the dead man's hand, California, and I find it very interesting. This, uh, this Luke fella sitting here, wasn't he? That's right. And the fellow who shot him was here? Uh, look. Uh, what do you say? We just forget the cards. Sir. Wait a minute, California. Luke said something about the other fellow double-decking him. Pulled his gun first, is that right? Well, sounded like that. Uh, it was under a table by that time. Take a look at the cards. Luke's got a full house here. The other man held a pair of tens. Now, why should the guy with a winning hand pull a gun first? Well, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe he was drunk. Oh, not that drunk. What's on your mind? Oh, just something to think about, that's all. Fix us up at the room, will you? My name's, uh, uh McKinney. This is California Jones. Looks like we'll be here in Indian Springs for quite a while. Well, it's your funeral. Maybe. Uh, don't you think... And, there's... Jerry, uh, could you tell us where Kit Kirby's wife lives? I'd kind of like to ride out and see her tonight. I'm so glad to see you, Mr. Cassidy. Our kid is very close to me, Mrs. Kirby. Oh, we do need help. We're afraid. The whole town's afraid. I've wished a thousand times Kit hadn't found that gold. You think that has something to do with it? It has everything to do with it. The night Joe brought in the first sample, someone broke into the assay office and stole the reports. That's how news of the strike got out. Joe went to Sheriff Underwood, but I guess someone else got there first. Uh, how's that? Well, the sheriff seemed afraid to do anything. Then Mr. Sykes at Wells Fargo called a protest meeting. He was attacked on the street the next night. Left town after he got a note threatening his family. Well, didn't anyone do anything about it? The editor of the weekly paper tried to. He wrote up the story together with what he knew about the gold strike, but the paper never came out. Well, why not? His office burned to the ground last week. Presses and all. That bartender finally knew what he was talking about. Um, when was Kit's partner shot on the trail? Just before the fire. That's when I knew it was more than I could handle, Mr. Cassidy. Sheriff Underwood promised me he'd do something, but... Yeah, but he left town in a hurry, too. You got any idea who's behind this, Mrs. Kirby? Oh, I thought it was Luke Barry until this afternoon. You heard uh, about the shooting? Yes. I want to give you something, Mr. Cassidy. It's a map that'll tell you how to get to the mine after the trail leaves Whitewater Pass. I just drew it from memory. Uh, no one knows how to get there, you see. There's a maze of mountains and canyons beyond the pass. Gets up there now, huh? He hasn't come out for a month. I haven't even seen him in that long. Well, now, uh, isn't it surprising that I got a letter from him dated less than three weeks ago? What? I, I, I guess I he... thought maybe he'd sent it out by you. But you say you hadn't seen him. You know, Mrs. Kirby, it's awfully hard to help when you just know half the story. All right, I'll tell you. I did write that letter. But it was only because Kit needs help so desperately. And even if he could get a letter to you, you know how proud he is. He never asked anyone for help. I know. He's got more spirit than Topper. That's saying a lot. Topper's a mighty fine bit of horse flesh. It was wrong of me to sign Kit's name to that letter, I know. 
But you do understand why I did it. Yes, I do, Mrs. Kirby, but uh, just don't make a practice of it. Somebody else might not understand. Now that kid. He's afraid he might get the same reception as his partner if he starts down the trail. So he's just sitting tight, huh? Yes, but he has to come out, Mr. Cassidy. It's snowing up there already, and he's almost out of supplies. What about the gold? Well, that's up there, too. Over $40,000 worth of it. And it's got to come out sometime through Indian Spring, Wells Fargo. Tell me, uh, is there anyone in town you know you can trust? Just Doc Sheldon. He's one of Kit's best friends. He w- Oh, I see him coming up the walk now. He'll uh, be Mrs. So- Kirby, uh, uh, we'll be in the next room. Don't tell him we're here. But he... Please. Oh, all right. Come on, California. Right behind you. Hello, Doc. Sally. You, uh, heard about Luke Barry? I heard he was shot. Is he... Died in my office an hour ago. He drew a gun on me first. Clear-cut case of self-defense. Half a dozen witnesses. I, uh, thought you'd want to know, Sally. Luke told me everything. What? What do you mean, Doc? He was back of the whole thing. That business at the assay office. The fire. All of it. Sally, honey... I think we're out of the woods now. The reign of terror is over. I'm not so sure. You still think Luke was working for someone else? Oh, I don't know, Doc. It's been such a nightmare, I can't think anymore. You've got to think, Sally. But Kit, you've got to get out of the mountains before the snow bottles him up. Any news on the sheriff? Haven't heard. I think he's gone to Saguaro for the marshal. Uh, take a look out the window there. Hmm? What? That sky. Snow could hit those mountains again tonight. It doesn't make sense, Sally. We've got to go up there and get Kit out. I told you I arranged for the sheriff, Doc. I tell you the secrets of business is only hurting Kit. Winter doesn't wait for anyone. All right, Doc. If the sheriff isn't back by tomorrow morning, I'll take you up. That's better, Sally. Now you're being sensible. I'll be here tomorrow morning at sunup. Yes, Doc, I'll be ready. Good night, Sally. Good night. say you can trust him? Oh, I think so. I hope so. You mean I shouldn't have promised to guide him up there? No, that part's all right. But stall him as long as you can tomorrow morning. Come on, California. Where are we going, Hoppy? Best place I know at the moment. To bed. <laughs> California. California, wake up. California. No, thank you, ma'am. No more meatballs. I get all roast turkey I can eat. Oh, we're thinking of food. California. Hoppy, uh, Hoppy, what time is it? Why? uh... Get your britches on. Uh, It's dark. What? uh, Why? uh... Get your britches on. I got an idea. Great time to get ideas, Hoppy. Run me ragged all day, ducking lead in the barroom. Then ain't got the decency. Hurry up. Can't find my boots, Sam. Maybe my eyes are still closed. Never mind the boots, just the britches. Uh? You ready? Yeah, but, uh... Come on. Uh, what? What's got into you? What time in the morning is it anyway? It's four o'clock. Now be very quiet and follow me. Right down the stairway into the bar room. What is this? I want to try a little experiment. I give up. I'm going to get me a nice, quiet job in a truck wagon somewhere. Hm. Getting up at four in the morning to do experiments. When a man works as hard as I do, Hoppy, he needs his 40 winks. Here we are. 
This is the table. Uh, uh, what table? Well, the boys were playing poker this afternoon. Now, you sit there. That's it. And I'll sit here facing you with the bar at my back. Now, you're Luke Barry and you're holding the high hand. But for some reason or other, you tell me I'm double-decking and drawing this. Uh, what kind Wait of... a minute. Oh, I'm a long-suffering critter. Why, I... Go ahead. Go on, Huffy. I'm Luke Barry. You shoot once and miss. Then we trade shots. You miss again. I don't. Then I fire two more and it's over. Now we can go back to bed? I don't get it, California. You missed me twice. What happened to your bullets? Look, not a mark on the bar. If you shot high, you'd have busted that mirror behind it into a million pieces. Wait a minute, Hoppy. You mean them shots were, uh... uh, uh Hoppy, uh, where'd you launch it? Uh, One of the table. Come on down and help me look. Oh. What you looking for? Now, let's see now. If it weren't for a mighty dark, I'd help you find it. But, uh, that is if I knew what it was, of course. Ah, here we are. I thought Doc Sheldon was pretty hasty packing Luke Barry off to his office. What you got? Ah, there was no killing here this afternoon. That was a put-up job to make Santa Kirby think Luke is dead. Before we continue with the exciting story, Dead Man's Hand, here is a word from your announcer. Hoppy and California have been in a lot of strange places at some very odd hours. At the moment, they are under a poker table in the Indian Spring Barroom. It's four o'clock in the morning, and they are just sitting and thinking, trying to make sense out of the discovery that the shooting of Luke Berry was staged, and undoubtedly for Sally Kirby's benefit. This piece of wadding is what I found under the table, California. A piece of wadding from a blank cartridge. Blank cartridge? What do you know about that, Hoppy? Doc Sheldon knew Mrs. Kirby would take him up to the mine if she thought Luke was out of the way. Shh, quiet. It's the dead man on Doc. Yeah, Luke Barry is just about as dead as I thought. You better saddle up now. Right after that bluff over Whitewater Pass. Be a long way. We can't afford to be spotted. What we plan still murder, you know. 
Best protection you got is staying dead. <laughs> hey, ain't gonna hate to miss my funeral in the morning. Now, what are the plans? What about Kirby? We ought to hit the pass on the way down about three in the afternoon. Mrs. Kirby will be first. Then Kirby. Remember that. Number two is Kirby. I'll bring up the rear after the pack mule. You won't be able to tell who's who at that distance. So draw your bead on number two. And don't miss. I didn't miss before, did I? He talked after you left him. I didn't like that. Yeah, don't worry. Kirby won't talk. And remember, I got to get out of this clean. Everything depends on that from the boss files for Kirby's clean. I'll see you in six weeks in Santa Fe. All right. Remember, I want you on your way to Whitewater Pass before Senate. Understand? Suppose you leave that to me. Why, them dirty double-crossing skunks. Uh, let's grab them, Hoppy. Not so fast, California. But, Hoppy, they'll get Kirby as he comes down that trail. Well, if we grab these two right now, the boss they mentioned in Santa Fe will send somebody else after Kit. The only way to settle this right is to find out who's behind it all. So we'll just have to play along. Well, it's against my instincts, but doggone, Hoppy, you always seem to know best. It gets downright monotonous. You trying to flatter me? <laughs> Come on. It's almost daybreak, and we got to hurry up and spruce up a bit. Huh? Well, don't folks always dress up to go to a funeral? Funeral? Hoppy, you mean... Yes, sir. Luke Mary's last rite. I have a hunch we're going to find it mighty interesting. And, uh, being there's no preacher in Indian Spring, I just thought that I'd get up and take charge here. Now, as you know, we're sending Luke Berry to his reward. And at a time like this, we're supposed to say something nice about the deceased. Now, being the deceased is Luke Berry, that regulation puts me at a whopping handicap. Hoppy, why intonation? Take it easy. I'll tell you when. Anyone present got anything nice to say about Luke? Hmm. Well, that being the case, sermon's over. Let him down easy, boys. Just a minute. What's the matter, mister? Let's not be too hasty putting old Luke away. I'm one of his best friends, and I'd like to see the body. (laughs) I'm sorry, mister. She's nailed down to stay. Rip her up. I want to see him. You get back down. You heard what I said. Take the lid off of that coffin. Well, you'll get tough with me, will you? And it isn't customary for the parts to pull a gun on the chief mourner. California. Yeah? Take the lid off. Right, Hoppy. Well, it's more easy. One of the boards is cracked. Hey, listen, stop it, will you? I'd shut up if I were you. Here she comes. There. Who's in it? I don't know. Never seen him. Good Lord. Why, it's it's Sheriff Underwood. Oh, my goodness. Just a minute, folks. Just a minute. I know I'm a stranger to all of you, but I'd like to say something. Well, speak up, mister. Yeah, what do you got to offer there? Since I rode into this town yesterday, I've uh, seen nothing but fear. All of you are shaking in your boots. Now, you're only as strong as you want to be. If you want to lie down and keep taking it, there's plenty of rats who will keep walking on you. It's up to you. How much longer are you going to take it? Well, what have you got to offer? Okay, Mr. Wrestling. All right, you got a jail in town. I saw it. Put the parson here inside it, and I'll have another one for you by nightfall. Come on, California. We got a job to do and do fast. Hoppy, if we don't get ourselves in the darndest 
places. Here we are, making our own trail up the mountainside with a window whistling through our whiskers. God, oh, isn't that not bad? Not even enough food to keep my ribs warm. I'll buy you a nice big steak just as soon as we get back to Indian Spring. No one look Barry's up in them peaks above us. I ain't too certain of ever getting back. You aren't concerned? No, just scared. Uh, I think we'd better split up here. Now, you know what you're to do, don't you? i got to do some mighty hard riding to reach the party before they get the Whitewater Pass. We were so afraid that you might get snowed in, Kit. It's been a long wake up there, Sally. Seems good to be headed down this trail. There's nothing to be afraid of now, Kit. Luke Barry is dead. Oh, is that someone coming up? Well, it's Mr. Cassidy. Hello there. Hop along. Hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, Topper needed a little exercise. How are you, kid? Oh, golly, it's good to see you, Hoppy. Hey, wait till you hear about my gold strike. We've had a fine trip, Mr. Cassidy. Doc Sheldon's been keeping a sharp lookout. Oh, have you two met? Mr. Cassidy's an old friend of Kit's, Doc. No, we haven't met. Howdy, Doc. Guess maybe I'll ride back to the end of the line and join you, if you don't mind. Maybe I can help you watch for any danger. No, I don't know what... Mrs. Kirby, when we round this next bend, we'll be in Whitewater Pass. Can you make your horse stumble and not hurt yourself? Well, I, I don't understand. Please don't ask questions. Just do as I say. All right. Now I'll go back there behind the dock and we'll be on our way. All right, get off! Well, I don't know what your idea is in coming up to meet us, Cassidy. I can tell you that I'm here to protect Chip. Then we have a lot in common, Doc. Well, just don't... Oh, Sally! Sally, are you all right? Oh, yes, Chip, my horse just stumbled. What's the matter up there? Sally, if your horse is tired, why don't you come back here with me and let Kit lead the way? All right, Mr. Cassidy. Well, what's the That's matter? That's a good idea. There. Now we'll ride through Whitewater Pass this way. Kit first, Doc second. Now, wait, wait. Sally third, and I'll bring up the rear. All right, let's get going. But, but, but Cassidy, I don't think we should ride this way. Kit's out front. He's exposed to everything. I'll change places with him. I wouldn't have hired you, Doc. I have my gun handy in case of any emergency. Cassidy, I... I can't ride here. I'm sick, I tell you. Mountain sickness. And there's nothing like a good ride to cure mountain sickness, Doc. Especially in number two spot. Wouldn't be surprised if you never got sick again. After today. Poppy, that was a shot. What do you know? Someone's out shooting coyotes. Oh, what can we do? Leave this to me, Sally. Keep your places in line. She, she has to defend. Who's your boss in Santa Fe, Doc? There's no one. He's running the whole play up here, isn't he? After Kit's mine. Bound to get it no matter who he has to kill first. I tell you, I don't know, Cassidy. I... Listen, Luke Barrett's up there. He, he, he's shooting at me because I'm riding second. He... Sure, you put him there. And he's going to keep shooting till you talk.
to Hopalong Cassidy. I'll take charge of the prisoners for a while, Hoppy. You won't have any trouble with the doc. Yeah. And it's surprising how a tap on the head will tame a fellow like uh, Luke Barry here. So you were in on this too, California. It all came so suddenly, I don't even know what happened. Well, you see, kids, California and I knew that Luke would be up on that peak about Whitewater Pass. So when I rode up the trail to meet you, California kind of sneaked up on Luke and took over the job. <laughs> like taking candy from a baby. Okay. Then it wasn't Luke shooting at us at all. It was... That's right, it was California. But the doc thought it was Luke. And he had instructed Luke to kill whoever was in number two position. Why, that's where I had been riding. Oh, kid! And with the bullets whizzing past him, the doc you sang like a bird. And now we know about the whole crooked mining outfit in Santa Fe. Good old doc. He just needed a little persuasion. That's right. <laughs> hey, by the way, there's something I forgot to compliment you on, California. Yeah? I'm blushing already. Uh, what is it? That shooting in Whitewater Pass. Brother, when you shoot the miss, you sure don't leave much room to spare. Miss? Did you tell me to miss him? Lordy, Hoppy, I was trying all the time to hit him. <laughs> job is done and they're heading back to the bar 20. But they'd be mighty pleased if you join them again next week for another story of action and excitement. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White Jr. Dead Man's Hand was written by Harold Swanson. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production. Life with Luigi. I just love this show. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, J. Carol Nash plays Luigi and, uh, he's from Italy, but he comes to America. He wants to come to America. And, uh, so this dude named Pasquale, uh, helps him get over here and, but the main reason he did that's because he he wants Luigi to marry his daughter Rosa, and so he's always trying to bluff him into that, but uh, it, it never happens. <laughs> but w- what it really is about is um, each show, Luigi is writing a letter to his mama telling him what's been going on, and that's. Uh, that's what the show is about, that letter that he's writing. So he writes one every week. Hit the Jackpot, presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers, will be heard at a new time starting tonight, just one half hour from now. Be sure to hear Hit the Jackpot immediately following this broadcast. Oh, 
as every American school child knows. On October 12, 1492, an Italian explorer, Christopher Columbus, discovered America. On September 27, 1947, a young Italian immigrant, Luigi Basco, rediscovered America. Christopher Columbus arrived with three vessels. Luigi Basco arrived with three dollars. When Christopher Columbus landed in America, he said, I named thee San Salvador. When Luigi Basco landed in New York, he said, Please, give me a ticket to Chicago. (laughs) And so we invite you to Chicago's Little Italy for a new comedy, Life with Luigi. The story of an immigrant created by Cy Howard and starring J. Carol Nash. From America, Christopher Columbus described his adventures to Queen Isabella in Spain. From Chicago, Luigi Basco describes his adventures to Mama Basco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, I make a promise to write to you. So I write. In the United States, one fellow keep promise to write is called promissory note. <laughs> in six months since I've been in America, my writing is already so good, words don't even have Italian accent. <laughs> I have store here in Chicago just like two other businessmen, Marshall and Field. They got same kind of store, only better location. <laughs> Mamma Mia, how you like my new business stationery? See, on top it say, Luigi Pasco, founder and prop. Prop is short for long word, I don't know. <laughs> also, my line business, old and the young antiques. Everybody here is crazy for old things. Old furniture, old lamps, all the chairs. Also, is lots of people crazy about old granddad. <laughs> Must be a fine man. <laughs> Our countryman, Pasquale, who bring me to this country and rent me store, has nice place next door. It's called Pasquale's Spaghetti Palace. Sometimes at night, when the breeze from Lake Michigan is just right, then the smell from Pasquale's Palace is reminding me of home, and I'm much lonesome for you. But in the morning when I wake up, I'm so pleasant to be an American. <laughs> But as Uncle Pietro always say, there's no rose without a little thorn. And in this case, is a very big thorn. Now I know why Pasquale bring me here. He wants I should marry his daughter, Rosa. You remember when Rosa was a nice little girl? Mamma mia, something has happened. <laughs> you know the bull Uncle Pietro has? Well, go in the pasture, look at the bull, take off the horns, that's the Rosa. <laughs> but outside the Rosa, America is fine, and there's plenty of business here. It's so good that I hire me a little 12-year-old bambino who lives with me, Jimmy O'Connor. He dusts the furniture, he washes the windows, he sweeps out the store. This in America is called general manager. <laughs> To show you how good a business is, only this morning he said to me... Mr. Luigi, let's face it, we're in a hole. Well, that's fine. Then why are you upset, Jimmy? What's fine about it? In America, when things is good, then you're in a groove, huh? Yeah. Hole is a bigger groove, so everything's fine. 
this is terrible. Take a look at the books. That tells the story. Okay. Here is one page of money going out. Here's another page. Money coming in. That's the trouble, Jimmy. Money coming in and money going out. If only she could stand still, we could grab it. <laughs> How much we got in the cash box? Two dollars and eighty-seven cents. How much I owe Pasquale for rent? Forty dollars. Isn't it come out even? <laughs> That's a too bad for Pasquale. It's too bad for you because if you don't pay him the rent, he's got a right to kick you out. Not in America. This is free country. It's a free speech. It's a free press. But not free rent. You gotta pay him. Oh, Jimmy, I work so hard for this place. I have all my beautiful statues. What I do? What I do? I got a suggestion, but I don't think you'll like it. Anything, Jimmy. You're a smart American boy. Anything. I'm a drowning. I'm a grabbing at straws. I'm a drowning. Okay. Mary Rosa. Okay, I drown. <laughs> but, Mr. Luigi, after all, as man to man, a fella's got to get married sometime. If Rosa is the last woman on the face of the earth, then I'd rather marry the face of the earth. <laughs> okay, Mr. Luigi. I've got another suggestion. Anything, Jimmy. I listen to anything. Okay. Sell one of your statues. Sure, I sell. Why do you think I'm in business? Well, that's what you say, but as soon as somebody comes in to buy something, you discourage them. I don't discourage. I only say not to for sale. <laughs> Last week we could have sold that one a General Grant. I never sell a president of the United States. <laughs> you won't even sell Robert E. Lee. He's a nice man, Mr. Lee. Poor fellow pick the wrong side, so why I sell him? <laughs> You know, you got 18 Abraham Lincoln. 19. I buy another one yesterday. <laughs> Mr. Luigi, I know how we can clear up all our debts and pay the rent. How? Just sell one statue. George Washington. George Washington? Founder and prop of our country, I never sell him. If you don't sell something, Mr. Luigi, you... Never sell this statue of Washington. I bring him with me from old country. His only copy of Horace Greeno's statue made in 1833 in Florence, Italy. If it's that good, put him in the window. It'll attract customers. Okay, Jimmy. Make you feel better. I put Washington in the window. Okay, George. Up you go in the window. Don't worry, George. I put you way in the back. They never see you. Uh, Jimmy, you just come from school. You must be hungry. You go back in the kitchen. Eat a little lunch. Okay, boss. He's a nice boy, Mr. Washington. Only he don't understand us. Don't worry, I don't sell you. When Jimmy go back to school, I take you out of the window. I put in college. <laughs> Pardon me, are you the proprietor? I'm Luigi Basco, founder and prop. What can I do for you, lady? Uh, I'm interested in that statue. What statue? Uh, the one you have in your window. Why, why you want this statue? Well, I noticed it when I came by your shop yesterday. It's a rare statue. You really like him, huh? I certainly do. You're crazy about him, huh? Yes. Is not the for sale. <laughs> but it's in your window. Suppose you in my window. You for sale? Well, but that's... George ridiculous. Washington crossed the Delaware, 1776. But the a window, never. Okay, Mr. Luigi. Oh, you got a customer. That's good. The lady don't want to buy anything. Goodbye, lady. <laughs> oh, but I did want to. Never I mind want... the goodbye, lady. What's going on here? Well, 
I'm a representative of the Americana Society, and we're having an auction. And I was just trying to buy that statue of George Washington. Grace, shut up, Jimmy. Go back and have a dessert. I'll give you $100 for it. So? You fired it, Jimmy. I quit. Oh, no, you don't. I quit. You can't quit. I'm the boss. I do anything I like. I quit and you're fired. That's all. Goodbye, lady. <laughs> Why won't you sell the statue? Well, yes, you're in business. Why won't you sell the statue? Look, I got other things to sell. Here, I sell you Venus de Milo with two hands. <laughs> No, the Americana Society is only interested in historical statues. Statues? Here, lady, I give you two General MacArthur's free. Now, please, it's Washington I want. But I cannot sell the father of our country. Mr. Luigi, if you don't sell something, you won't be able to pay the rent to Pasquale. And you'll have to marry Rosa. Well, all right, I'm a stuck, I'm a stuck. Either way, you break my heart. I take George Washington in the back. I wrap him up with my own hands. Well, George, I gotta sell you. What I do? What I do? If I don't sell, I don't pay the rent, I get pushed out. Well, that's all right, maybe. But then I gotta marry Rosa. If you ever see her, George, you don't blame me. Please, George, don't look at me like that. Always since I'm a little boy, I know about you. You fine man, you rich man. You have a big farm, but when the poor people say, Hello, George, we need a general. You say, okay. You give a plantation, June 1775. Now, I give you up, it can't be helped. Lots of things we do in the wartime. Right now is Luigi Basco's war. Come on, George, say goodbye. It's very sad for me, too, George. Shake hands, Mr. President, to Washington. I wrap you up warm so you don't freeze like in the Valley Forge winter 1777. Arrivederci, Giuseppe Washington. All right, Jimmy, put a statue in a lady's car. Okay, Mr. Luigi. Here's your hundred dollars. Thank you. And don't feel too badly. Because all the proceeds from this auction go to charity. If you'd like to come, here's the address. The auction will be held in my home. Thank you, lady. Goodbye. Good day. Okay, Mr. Luigi, I put the statue in the car. Gee, she must be loaded. She drove off in a beautiful Lincoln. It's a funny country when a Washington drives away in a Lincoln. <laughs> what are you going to do with that dough? Put him under the mattress. Someday, someone will come in here and steal you and the mattress. Not in a Chicago. <laughs> take my word for it. In America, everybody puts their money in the bank. I don't take your word, Jimmy. Anytime I got a problem, I go to see my teacher, Miss Spaulding. If I don't come back before you go to school, lock the door, put out the regular sign. Back soon, maybe longer. Please don't wait. <laughs> I love you. You like a papa to me. Hello, my teacher, Miss Spaulding. I brought you an apple. Thank you, Luigi. I'll be with you as soon as I finish talking to Mary. I wait. Now, Mary. Yes, Miss Spaulding? I was very surprised this morning when you didn't know who invented the electric light. 
So I had to I'm get surprised, too, at the little bambino. Everybody ought to know who invented electric light. You see, Mary, here's a man who's only been in this country for six months, and he knows. Go on, Luigi. Tell her who invented the electric light. Marconi. <laughs> Marconi, he invented everything. No, Luigi. Edison invented the electric light. Then Marconi invented Edison. <laughs> I see you need some more private lessons, Luigi. All right, Mary, you can run along now. But be sure you have better answers tomorrow. All right, Miss Baldwin. Goodbye, Mrs. Luigi. Goodbye, little Mary. Tell me, Luigi, how are you and Jimmy O'Connor getting along? He's a fine boy. Every day we have a fight. It's very pleasant. <laughs> I'm so glad he found a home and a job with you. He's a good businessman. But he make me do wrong thing today. He make me sell a statue of George Washington. He's not patriotic, huh? Luigi, patriotism isn't measured by statues. It's something you feel. Good. I feel much better. But what I do with $100? Jimmy say put it in the bank. Well, he's right. I suggest you put your money in the Case National Bank. Why? Why a bank? Well, because in America, you don't carry on business with cash. You'll need checks. Marshall Fields. They put money in the bank? Yes. Is it good enough for me? <laughs> I go tell Pasquale I give him a check for the rent. You can see Pasquale later. Now go straight to the bank. Don't walk around with so much cash. After all, there are some dishonest people in the world. Don't worry about me. I I'm a smart man. Yes, but look out for strangers. <laughs> They'll try to sell you the Union Station for $100. Not to me, Miss Spaulding. Second day I'm in Chicago, I buy it for $5. <laughs> For the second act of Luigi Basco's Adventures in Chicago, we look over Mama Basco's shoulder as she turns to page two of the letter from her son, Luigi. So, Mama Mia, six months in this country, and I'm partner with Marshall and Fields. But as Uncle Pietro always say, every cloud she has a silver lining. For me, there's no silver lining because I'm looking into gold teeth of our countryman, Pasquale, who's smiling at me like a cat. Luigi! <laughs> Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. Hello, Pasquale. What's the matter with you? I'm your countryman. Why are you passing my place without the coming in? I'm glad to why. I'm in a hurry now. Wait a minute, Luigi, my friend. Please, you're breaking my arm. <laughs> Somebody's been asking it for you. If it's who I think it is, goodbye. <laughs> Come in, Luigi, just for a minute. I'm going to the bank, get a check, pay you the rent. Forget the business. I'm going to worry about the rent to you like a son to me. I'm bringing you from the old country. Why? You don't know either? <laughs> Listen to me, Luigi. I'm bringing you here to marry Rosa. Now, come inside, stupid. You call me Rosa, my little bambino. Look, Luigi's here. Hello. That's in a way to say hello to Bachelor Man, to say hello nicer. Hello, Luigi. Hello, Rosa. 
<laughs> That's a nice conversation you two just had. <laughs> you both are made for each other. It's a perfect combination. Okay, Rosie, go back to the kitchen and help your mama. Pop is going to take care of your future. <laughs> <laughs> She's like a little angel. When I go to heaven, I look her up. <laughs> Luigi, I got a surprise for you. Next Sunday, how you like to go with me to a wedding? Who's getting married? You are. <laughs> then you will be my son. What do you say? Goodbye, Papa. Oh, Luigi, Rose is a big, but she's a wonderful girl. She's had such a nice, a comfortable lap. You sit there, read the paper, smoke a pipe, a drink a wine. What do you say? I want a wife and not a poster chair. <laughs> Is this your last word, my son? Yes. Your very last word? Yes. You positive, absolutely sure? Yes. Where's my rent money? I throw you off the street. <laughs> Pasquale, I got the rent money. I go to the bank now. I give you a check. Luigi, I don't know from a check. So you here, I'm here, the money's here. Transaction. Pasquale. Pasquale, you don't understand. You're like a greenhorn. Oh, shut up. I'm here 26 years. Don't get excited. I explain you. See? Here is $40 rent. I take it. You impatient. <laughs> take them as slow. First, I take money to bank. You're going to pay my rent to the bank? No, 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 no. <laughs> Miss Spaulding, she explained to me. I explained to you. All right. I take this money to bank. You take this money to bank. They take money from me. They take this money from you. They depart. They depart. They give me checkbook. They give you checkbook. I take one check. You take one check. I write. You write. Pay to order Pasquale's spaghetti palace of forty dollars and no cents. Pay to order Pasquale's spaghetti palace of forty dollars and no cents. I bring you check. You bring me check. You make a big cross on the back. I make a big cross on the back. Then you go to bank. <laughs> then I go to bank. You stand on line. I stand on line. You tell fella you want the money. I tell the fella I want the money. He give you forty dollars. He give me forty dollars. It's very simple. Everybody's happy, see? See? It's very simple. Everybody. I'm not happy. <laughs> Money's right here on the table. Now give me. No. I tell you this once more. I take money to bank. You take money to the bank. They take money from me. They take money from you. They depart. They depart. They give me a check. They give you a check. I take one check. You take one check. I write. You write. Pay to order Pasquale's Spaghetti Palace of $40 and no cents. Pay to order Pasquale's Spaghetti Palace of $40 and no cents. I bring you a check. You bring me a check. You make a big cross on the back. I make a big cross on the back. Then you go to bank. Then I go to bank. You stand on line. I stand on a line. You tell a fella you want the money. I tell a fella I want the money. He give you $40. He give me $40. What's the simpler? Pay me my money. I don't want the simpler. Wait. I explain you once more. <laughs> I take money to bank. Please, Luigi. I've been to the bank twice. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> Give me my money. Wait. Once more, I explain. I go to the bank. You go to the bank. They take money from me. They take the money from me. They depart. They Excuse me. 
Is this Case National Bank? Yes. I'd like you to talk to Mr. Case. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Case is dead. I wait. <laughs> is Mr. Case's son here? He has no son. Oh, too bad. He's got a fine building here. If he's got a daughter, I'm single. Uh, look, sir, this is a bank. Did you wish to open an account here? See. Si. Fine. Is this your first bank account? See. Si. All right. We have the necessary papers right here. Just take a few minutes. Uh, now, what did you say your name was? I don't say. Well, what is it? <laughs> what for do you need my name? For, uh, for our records. Now, what is your surname? First time anybody called me sir. Thank you. <laughs> now, if you don't mind, sir, how much would you like to start with? I'd like to start with a thousand dollars. That's a good round sum. But I only got a hundred. <laughs> well, uh, just give me the money and I'll open up an account for you. You want a checking account? Yes. I have to write a check. I have to pay Pasquale the rent, or I have to marry Rosa, and then I've got to go with... Fine, (laughs) fine, Now, here's your deposit slip, and here's your checkbook. Now, if you'll give me the money. Is that necessary? (laughs) Yes. First, what do you do with this money? Why, we... We invest it. Yes, that's what we do with it. Where you invested? Where? Why, we... <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> where you invest? Yes, where do we invest all this money? I ask you first. <laughs> Perhaps you'd better talk to our vice president. Mr. Thurston, would you help me here with the problem? Certainly, Parker. There's a person here who wants to open an account. Oh, Parker, I must leave in a few minutes, sir. Can't you take care of it? Sir, he wants to know what we do with our money. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, that's a ridiculous question. I agree with you, sir, but what do we do with our money? <laughs> <laughs> Why, uh, we invest it. But where? Where? Yes. Where? Uh, go back to your cage, Parker. I'll handle this myself. Uh, how do you do, sir? My name is Mr. Thurston. I'm vice president of this bank. Ordinarily, I don't handle matters such as this, but uh, I've always had a slogan. The small depositor of today is the big depositor of tomorrow. Then I come back tomorrow. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean it that way. Now, sir, you want to know what we do with our money. See, is important. Is first $100 I ever had. Yes, I understand your feelings. Uh, this is what we do with your $100. We buy railroads, telephone companies, light and power, public utilities, streetcars, real estate, and government bonds. Satisfying? Seems like a lot for $100. <laughs> well, uh, let me try another approach. Uh, what business are you in? Antique business. All right. Now... A lot of times you can sell an antique for a high price and buy back the same antique at an auction at a cheaper price. That means your money is working for you. Now, if you give your money to us... That's good for you, but bad for me. I'm not going to put the money in the bank. I got other ideas of what to do. Now, just a minute, sir. How dare you question my business sense? 
For your information, I have been with the Case National Bank for ten years. Before that, I was with the Third National Bank for five years. Before that, I was with the Second National Bank for three years. Before that, I was with the First National Bank for two years. That is my professional record. What do you say to that? Is it too bad you couldn't haul a job? <laughs> Gentlemen, the next item for auction is this statue of George Washington, which came... From Luigi Vasco's window, 21 North Hallstead Street, open night and day. Oh, hello, Mr. Vasco. We're just auctioning off your George Washington. Good, as, as many as I come. Yes, well, now, ladies and gentlemen, let's start the bidding. Who says $300? Holy smokes, this lady only pay 100 <laughs> Now, uh, <clears throat> who say two? Oh, come, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, this is George Washington. He's been elected. He's not campaigning. <laughs> now, who starts the ball rolling? $25. $25 is innocent. Well, I think Mr. Vasco's right. Can't I hear $50 for the father of our country? You bet your life, lady. I, Luigi Vasco, bid a $50. All right, I have $50. Who'll bid more? I, Luigi Bosco, bid a $75. I have a $75 bid. Who'll say $100? I, Luigi Bosco, say $100. (laughs) Mr. Bosco, you're bidding against yourself. I know. That's the idea. You want more money, I bid more money. But, Mr. Bosco, your original bid of $50 is enough for this statue of George Washington. Is not enough for father of our country. Even $100 is not enough. I bet everything I got. $102.87. Mr. Vasco, you're a real American. Uh, not yet. You see, I only come here September 1947, so I don't get the first papers yes, until fine. I go down uh, to uh, see uh, the Washington. Uh, yes, I, I understand. Uh, Mr. Vasco, thank you for your bid, but it's a great personal sacrifice. So what? So Pasquale threw me out in the street. It's all right with me. So I stay out in the street with George Washington. He's worth it. He's a great man. Brave man. Brave like a Garibaldi. He's a brave, maybe. He beat the whole of British Army. So people make him first the president. Twice. 1789 and 1793. Maybe you don't know how great the man he is. Because you're born here and you're used to him like, uh, like a children to Papa. Maybe it's why you don't know how much it's worth to have a George Washington in your house. But to me, I know. When I have him in my store, every morning I say, Good morning, Mr. President. And every night I say, Sleep for good, Mr. President. Find a country. America. That's why I, Luigi Basco, bid a $102.87. Thank you, Mr. Basco. The bid is $102.87. Going once, going twice. $1,000. $1,000 bid by Mr. Thurston of the Case National Bank. $1,000. Are there any other bids? Mrs. Wells, I, I got no money now. I work harder next year. Maybe you take the little money I got. I give you the rest on an installment plan. Well, I, I'm sorry. We must have cash. A thousand once. Twice, three times. So to Mr. Thurston. Mamma mia, my statue. 
Where do you want the statue delivered, Mr. Thurston? 21 North Halstead Street. Mr. Thurston, that's my address. Exactly. That's where George Washington belongs. With you. Gracias, Mr. Thurston. I pay you back. Here's the down of payment. My hundred dollars. I'll take this money and open an account for you at the bank. But the statue is yours. It's a gift. It's impossible. In America, Mr. Basco, everything is possible. Next week at this time for Life with Luigi, a Cy Howard production. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting... You know, I'm not a real big sci-fi fan. Uh, I don't do a lot of the space things, but yet there's some I do. But now when it comes to old-time radio, I love the X-1 things. So um, this one... <laughs> I think this one will surprise you, and uh, I'm not going to say too much about it. Uh, it's called Coffin Cure, so uh, we'll see if it hits you like it hit me. <laughs> <laughs> this is Nightline, your tie-line to the world, and this is Walter O'Keefe. Tonight, a visit to worlds strangely different from ours, the world of the future, the world of X-1. Now, here is the future, X-1. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1... Fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight, The Coffin Cure by Alan Norse. But first, hear this. The scene of America's first Thanksgiving celebration. The top Big Ten football game of the day. One of the most unusual excursions on which a radio audience has ever been taken. These are just a few highlights of the weekend Monitor has planned for you. To help set the mood for the coming Thanksgiving holiday, Monitor takes you on a visit to the banks of the James River at Berkeley Plantation, Virginia. The scene of America's first Thanksgiving celebration more than 300 years ago. For sports fans, Monitor takes you to Michigan Stadium at Ann Arbor for the big Michigan-Ohio State football game. 
And for everybody, a most unusual listening experience as Monitor takes you behind the walls of Leavenworth Penitentiary. You'll learn of this famous prison's operation from Warden C.H. Looney. Sit down to lunch with its inmates. Learn from them how confinement behind prison walls affects a man. Learn of their opportunities for rehabilitation. There'll be celebrities, music, news, and sports. All on Monitor all weekend long, beginning Friday night over most of these NBC stations. Now, X-1, and tonight's story, The Coffin Cure. I saw the headlines on the way downtown in the morning. Common cold cured. And sure enough, there was his picture, Chauncey Patrick Coffin. Newspaper ran on deliriously. Coffin nails lid on common cold. No more coffin, state's co-finder of cure. Sniffles sniped. Single shot to save sneezers. There was no doubt of it. I've always said that the man who finds the cure of the common cold would be the greatest hero in medical history. And if I could have gotten my hands on Dr. Chauncey Patrick Coffin at that moment, I would have torn him limb from limb. Almost did about a half an hour later at the laboratory. Philip, Philip, there's no sense in getting excited. It's idiocy, blind, screaming idiocy. Coffin, you're out of your mind. Can't you see what you've done? It was my idea in the first place, and Jake and I have been pounding our heads on the wall for eight solid months, and you go sneak into publication a full year before we have any business. Now, now, Philip, you... Now, how about that, Jake? Did you see the morning papers? This thief not only steals our work, he splashes it all over the countryside in red ink. Now, C.P., you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. After all, we've hardly had an acceptable period of clinical trial. Oh, nonsense. Philip, you had the worst cold of your life when you took the vaccine. Have you had any since? No, of course not. Now, Jacob, how about you? Any sniffles? How about those 600 students from the university? Did I misread the reports on them? No, 98% cured of active symptoms within 24 hours. Well, of course, it's only been a month. Now, gentlemen, be reasonable. Think positively. There's work to be done, a great deal of work. Press conference in 20 minutes. Drug houses to consult with. Gentlemen, we won the greatest medical triumph of all time. The conquering of the common cold. We'll go down in history. He was right on that point, at least. We did go down in history. Of course, it was the biggest story of the year. In medical circles, it was called the Coffin Multicentric Upper Respiratory Virus Inhibiting Vaccine. Newspapers just called it the Coffin Cure. The men from the government bureaus came first, and then 17 pharmaceutical houses descended with production plans, cost estimates, colorful graphs. One laboratory promised a vaccine in 10 days. Another guaranteed it in a week. The first actually appeared in three weeks and two days to be soaked up in two hours by a thirsty sponge of cold, weary humanity. Express planes were dispatched to Europe, Asia, Africa with a precious cargo. A million needles pierced a million hides. And with a huge, convulsive sneeze, mankind stepped forth into a new era. 
There were abstainers, of course. There always are. One of them, for example, my wife, Ellie. Now, Phil, you can talk all you want to. I don't want any cold shots. You've had this cold for two solid months now. There just isn't any sense to it. I don't want any cold shots. But why not? Just one little needle. You hardly feel it. You know I don't like needles. Oh, Ellie. Why don't you leave me alone? Go take your nasty old needles and stick them in people that want them. I woke up once that night and listened to a parade of sneezes from Ellie. I rolled over and frowned to myself. It was ignominious in a way. The wife of one of the cold cure discoverers was refusing the fruit of all those months of work. When I woke up in the morning, I thought I was suffocating. (coughs) Hey, Hey, Ellie! Ellie! Ellie, I'm choking. Ellie, what did you do? Hey, hey, what's burning? Hey, Ellie, somebody's burning down the house. Oh, what are you talking uh, about? It's just the uh, toast. I burned it. Well, it's, it's awful. What's happened here? I'm making breakfast. But uh, don't you smell it? Of course not. It's just bacon and eggs and toast. Oh. You mean you don't smell anything strange? I don't smell anything, period, with this cold. But, uh, say, did you put on fresh perfume this morning? Before breakfast? Don't Uh, be ridiculous. Not even a drop? Not one drop. This must all be in my mind, or I'm imagining things, that's all. I'm working too hard. Say, wait a minute. Ellie? Give me my hat. I've got to get down to the laboratory, quick. You're listening to The Coffin Cure, tonight's attraction on X-1. Eleven million victims, adults and children alike, beg you to break the grip of the crippler, arthritis. Advances in medical science have made possible the cure of many diseases. But further research is necessary to break this grip, to find the cause and the cure for man's oldest, most crippling disease. Let's give arthritics a chance. Help relieve their suffering now and help find the cure that will end this terrible disease for all time. Your contributions will support a double-barreled attack on arthritis, a fight in which more research and better treatment are brought to bear on one of the great menaces to our nation's health. Please join the campaign to destroy arthritis, to break the grip of the crippler. You can do your part. Please give to your local arthritis fund. Back to X-1 and The Coffin Cure. It grew worse all the way downtown. I fought down nausea as the smell of damp, rotting earth rose from my front yard. The neighbor's dog dashed out to meet me, exuding the great-grandfather of all dog odors. 
The crowded bus was a nightmare. I could tell that the bus driver had salami for supper the night before. My stomach began to roll, and I barely made it off the bus. I met Jake Miles at the laboratory. Did Coffin come in yet? Oh, he's in there. He's got the door locked. Uh, you got it, too? Yeah. Coffin! Now, don't come too close. You got it, too? When did it start for you? Right after supper last night. I thought I was going to suffocate. I got up and walked the streets all night. What a stink. I got it sometime this morning. But I don't understand. Nobody else seemed to notice anything. You'll forget something. We were the first three to take the coffin cure, remember? You and me and Jake two months ago. But what's happened? Those foul smells everywhere. Every odor in this town has suddenly turned foul. Magnified, you mean? I don't think the smells have changed any. Well, but what is it then? Our noses have changed, obviously. Look at our experimental dogs. They never had colds, and they practically live by their noses. Other animals all depended on their sense of smell for survival. They don't get colds either. The multicentric virus hits primates only, and it reaches the fullest power in man alone. But I, I don't get it. Why should it smell this way? I, I haven't had a cold in, in ages. Of course not. That's just the point. Look, why do we have any sense of smell at all? Because we have tiny nerve endings in the mucous membranes of our noses and throats. But we've always had the virus living there. Cold or no cold, it's always been there, except now after the coughing cure. We got rid of the virus, remember? And now for the first time, those nerve endings in our noses are just beginning to function. You mean you think it'll get worse? And worse, and still worse. Now, we're all in this together, Phil. It was your idea in the first place. Uh. You said so yourself. You can't leave me now. You can't. You can. You better answer your phone. Uh, hello. Uh, I I'm busy, and I, I can't see anyone, and I can't... What? Oh. What is it? There's a line of students outside the building. They're waiting to see me. Oh, Jake, Phil, they'll hang me. You've got to help me. Send down to the freezer and get all the live cold virus we can find. Get us some inoculated monkeys and a few dozen dogs. But you've got to help me. You've got to help me. And stop sniveling. You're the big publicity man around here. You're going to handle the screaming masses, whether you like it or not. We've got to find out how to catch the common cold again if we have to die trying. It was a futile struggle. We sprayed our throats with enough pure culture of virulent live cold virus to have condemned an ordinary man to a cold for life. We didn't develop a sniffle. We injected the virus hypodermically, intradermally, intramuscularly, intravenously. We drank it. We bathed in it, but we didn't catch a cold. We wore wet clothes and sopping shoes to work, but we never felt better in our lives. I think you should all be locked up taking a cold shower, and then going out in the snow. You don't understand, Ellie. We've got to catch a cold. Why? Suppose you don't. What's going to happen? We had 300 students march on the laboratory today. The smells were driving them crazy. They couldn't even bear to be close to their best friends. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, we'll have them back and 300 more. And what's going to happen when 50? 
15 million people find their noses suddenly turning on them. Ellie, we just did too good a job. We just can't catch cold. We just can't crack it. Those antibodies are just doing too good a job. Well... Maybe you can find uncle bodies to take care of them. Oh, now, look, don't make bad jokes. I'm not making jokes. I don't care what you do. All I want is a husband back who doesn't complain how everything smells and who doesn't stand around in cold showers at six o'clock in the morning. In the morning, Jake, Coffin, and I had a conference in the lab. Go out there anymore. I can't see those students. I've begged for time. I've promised them everything but my upper plates. I, I can't face them again. I just can't. We only have a few days left. There were 15 million antivirus shots given in the past three months, at least. Say, we don't come up with something, we're gone. You know what I think? I think we've been prize idiots. We've gotten so rattled, we haven't used our heads. And all the time, it's been sitting there, blinking at us. What are you talking about? Ellie said it this morning. Uncle Bodies. Oh, he's cracked. He snapped. No, no, I'm dead serious. How many of those students do you think you can corral to help us? Six hundred. Mm. They're out there in the street right now, a blood-seeking mob howling for a lynching. All right, I want them in here, and I want some monkeys. Monkeys with colds. The worse ones, the better. Say, do you have any idea what you're doing? Not in the least, except that it's never been done before. But maybe it's time we tried following our noses for a while. The tidal wave began to break two days later. Only a few people here, a dozen there, but we could tell it was coming. At the laboratory, the doors were kept barred, telephones disconnected. Jake rigged up some small gas masks, but it didn't do much good. But the work went on in spite of the smells, and you have no idea what a truckload of monkeys smells like magnified 10,000 times. We had cold-ridden monkeys, sneezing, coughing, weeping, wheezing monkeys by the dozen. Culture trays bulged with tubes. Each day, 600 angry students holding their noses paraded through the lab, arms exposed. At the end of the week, half the monkeys were cured of their colds and couldn't get them back. And the other half had new colds and couldn't get rid of them. That meant we were on the right track. And then, two days later, Jake came into the laboratory triumphantly. Jake, what's the idea of bringing that dog in here? I've got six nose plugs and they still don't do any good. But look at that puppy. Look at it. Watch him carefully. You hear? He sneezed. He's got a cold. That's the first dog in history that ever got a cold. And we've won. <laughs> I was the first volunteer. We injected the new serum in my arm and sat back and waited. We were still waiting three days later. Well, it was a great idea. Just didn't work, that's all. Where's Coffin? 
He collapsed three days ago. He kept having anxiety dreams about hanging. Well, I suppose we'd better just face it. Nice knowing you, Jake. Pity it had to end this way. Well, it was a great try, old man. A great try. Ah, yes. We will be remembered by an infuriated world holding its nose in vain. Nothing like going down in a blaze of... Up. Up. What's the matter? And a blazer? Huh? 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 Chew! Phil! Say it again! Huh? Chew! Oh! What a moment! Phil, we've won! Chew! Now, just keep your feet in this warm bath, Phil. And drink plenty of hot lemon juice. You'll be all right. You see... It was your idea, the uncle bodies. Hmm? We developed an antibody against the cold virus, and then we had to develop an antibody against the antibody. Will they be able to make it fast enough? Just about fast enough for the people to get good and eager to catch cold again. Hmm. There's only one little hitch. Hitch? The stuff we made does a real good job, just a little too good. I may be wrong, but I think I've got this cold for keeps. Unless I can find an antibody against the antibody against the antibody. Fred Collins again. And I'll have another word about X minus one in a moment. Is your head buzzing with a feverish, stuffed-up feeling of a cold? Here's how to get relief. Every second someone takes it for the miseries of a cold. Promo Quinine brand cold tablets. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features Galley Slave by Isaac Asimov. The three laws of positronic robots made it impossible to kill a human. But there was a loophole. Murdering a man after his death. Read it in Galaxy Magazine on your newsstand today. X-1 has brought you The Coffin Cure, a story written by Alan Norse and adapted for radio by Ernest Kenoy. Featured in our cast were Raymond Edward Johnson as Phil, Joseph Bell as Coffin, Harvey Hayes as Jacob, and Betty Kane as Ellie. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was an NBC Radio Network production. There's excitement in the air at night, and Nightline brings it to you. Hear Nightline with Walter O'Keefe, next on most of these NBC... Well, folks, it's that time again uh, where I've have to sign off and tell you goodbye and uh, invite you back next week for another edition and um, so y'all have a really good week and I look forward to seeing you and let me know how you like the show and I'll see you next time bye bye well folks it's that time again um, where I've have to sign off and tell you goodbye and uh, 
invite you back next week for another edition. And um, so y'all have a really good week. And I look forward to seeing you. And let me know how you like the show. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.